Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always... I'm Scott, hello. Jesus, what a pause. (laughs) (laughs) I could feel the tension in the area. (laughs) Uh, This week we are part two of The Demons, uh, third Doctor story. If you listened to our last week's episode, which I hope you did because it would be weird if you were listening to part two before listening to part one. Uh, you would see that it was like I don't know, twenty-five hours long. Uh, <laughs> somehow, uh, somehow, every episode we do somehow manages to, manages to get longer. I don't know how. Just longer and longer every time, and it's 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 brilliant. We just <laughs> just 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 squeezing the content out of every little dribblet of Doctor Who. But uh, on this episode, we will be covering episodes 3, 4, and 5 from the Demon storyline. So you can bet your fucking ass it's going to be a long one. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, with that, unless you have anything else to say, Scott, shall we dive into Uh, the episode? Yeah, we should definitely dive in. (laughs) So the episode, as always, picks up immediately where the cliffhanger was from last week. Uh, and if you remember from our, uh, us chatting last week, we both thought the cliffhanger was a bit shit with the gargoyle running down and interrupting the doctor, and it's the somewhat shit-looking costume. <laughs> somewhat. That's been generous. <laughs> I didn't want to be so negative three minutes into the podcast. Also, uh, just replaying the scene again, I can see like the zip at the back of the suit as well. <laughs> Yeah, the the zip's great. I love the zip on the the back of the gargoyle suit. Uh, just where his tail lifts up, and you can see yeah. see the <laughs> see the wee zip. It's really not well put together at all. <laughs> it, it was probably put together in like what maybe two days, three days. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we see the gargoyle screeching and I, I mainly just screeching at the the doctor and Joe. It's not uh, a, a bad. It's not a bad sound effect, at least. It's yeah. I, I think the audio design for this whole story has been pretty decent. Like, like I'm not Dr. sure. Hans... What, I'm not sure of what kind of animal they took that sample from. It's probably several different animals, and then yeah, merged together so it becomes unrecognizable. Or it's probably a guy going, <laughs> like murdering his throat <laughs> doing it. The doctor hands uh, Joe a torch. And reaches for something inside his pocket and then starts speaking in what we assume to be Latin, but I think we discover later on it's not Latin, is it? It's like an alien dialect. Oh, yes. He, he speaks a lyric from a Venusian lullaby. Yeah, which we yeah. find out the meaning of in a few moments, but he's holding some sort of item out and facing it towards the, the gargoyle. And the gargoyle is going, oh, gosh. Oh no! As it as it backs up uh, out of the the uh, the the archaeological site, uh, and then we, we we cut to the master who's I I, I, I guess controlling the gargoyle. Yeah, and I guess he, he has a st- yeah he has a like psychic link. S- yeah, and he can I guess see what the gargoyle sees as well, because he understands what's going on. The gargoyle just kind of nods its head a lot. <laughs> yeah uh i i I never picked this up watching it but apparently the gargoyle is called bok yeah um yeah john Ferdley had like a polystyrene model of bok in his garden for a long time 
but when it started raining, the, the model started melting. So oh, no. it didn't last rest, too long. Rest in peace, Bok. Gone too soon. Uh, <laughs> but the, the master asks Bok, why is he not attacking? Uh, and we see Bok <laughs> looking so dumb. Uh, <laughs> nodding like, along. It looks like he's listening to heavy metal with his head banging up and down <laughs> very intensely. And uh, the master says that Bok has got nothing to fear and such, quote, mumbo-jumbo. And then uh, he eventually gives in and tells Bok to retreat and come back. Whatever the doctor's doing is it's scaring Bok to his very core. Uh, Bok leaves. Uh, and uh, uh, Joe asks, how, how did the doctor do that? How did, how did you stop Bok? The almighty Bok, the terrifying, <laughs> amazingly costumed Bok from killing us, Doctor. And the Doctor replies simply, Iron. Uh, he was he was holding a, uh, what's the word for this thing? Like a troll? A trowel? Trowel? Trowel. Yeah, like a little yeah. spade or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's what you use in archaeology to scrape away dirt from rocks. Uh, and he says it was a magical defense to which Joe responds, and I really liked this little conversation here. Uh, where Joe's like, but you don't believe in magic. And the doctor's like, oh, that doesn't matter because he believed in magic. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a great concept for the doctor just to use his enemy's mindset against him. It's really yeah. smart. Yeah, it's like the, the actual iron holds no power and the gargoyle could easily get past it, but because the gargoyle thinks that it can't get past the iron, it won't be able to get past the iron. It's a very, very clever way of dealing with quote-unquote magic in this scenario. It also reminds me a little bit of uh, The Empty Child where the doctor just tells the kids to go to their room. It, it, <laughs> I, think this, I think you said this last week as well. <laughs> Two weeks ago? I yeah. It's the second time we're mentioning go to your but, room. But it's basically like using their mindset against them. Which yeah, is... because these are kids, and so you, if you treat them like kids, they'll listen. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, using the enemy's psychology uh, to defeat them. It's very, very clever. Uh, then Joe asks, what spell uh, did the doctor cast them? Because he said, he said some, some stuff when he held out the trowel. And uh, the doctor says, as Scott explained to us, that it was actually the first line of an old Venusian haha, uh, lullaby. Do you want to know what a Venusian lullaby is? What is it? Uh, Venusian is a language long dead by the 26th century. And it, it, the lullaby was used several times in the Third Doctor era. Um, the Third Doctor, uh, John Pertwee even made up some gibberish to, to make a song out of it to the tune of God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen. And he, I think he's one of the rare actors in Doctor Who to actually create a song for a show, which he probably gets royal royalties off of I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that works but it's interesting mm, yeah. you can tell that john pertwee i think more than quite a lot of the other actors who've played the doctor absolutely adored being the doctor and was super passionate about the role and the world and everything around it oh yeah he, he played the doctor until like a few months before his death he, he would readily agree to appear in fan films even and he was always happy to appear in conventions and shit. It's, he's a really good actor, I think. And a wonderful man. Absolutely. Uh, the Venusian uh, lullaby goes as follows. The small line that he said anyway. It's, close your eyes, my darling. Well, three of them at least. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a which is a pretty good, pretty fun little like uh, 
futuristic-y, funny lullaby. And there's a nice little moment where the Doctor and Joe just get to have an inside joke, kind of. We just laugh with it, and it's a really sweet moment. Yeah. Uh, and then the the Doctor's like, that gargoyle did scare the shit out of me, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Those words, exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a really weird... <laughs> uh, there was a lot of complaints about Ofcom uh, about that line. Was Ofcom even a thing, by the way? That's an interesting I don't, thing to I, I look up. Uh, <laughs> All our detours. Oh, Ofcom started in 2003. Yeah, So damn. no, it wasn't. If, if anybody listening doesn't know what Ofcom is, basically they're a regulatory service here in the UK that uh, basically if you are really touchy and sensitive to anything on TV, you can call them up and complain uh, and they'll deal with it. And it, they can take stuff off the air and, you know, censor yeah. things and things like maybe that. Maybe a have. little, I think, a little too powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I also have never met anybody that has ever complained to Ofcom, yet yeah. uh, tens of thousands of people do all the time about almost every TV show. Yeah, if, if, you, if you're ever in the UK, just try watching The Simpsons or How I Met Your Mother, any kind of adult kind of sitcom, and you'll see... So many sex jokes and shit being just censored for no reason. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. especially if it's before the watershed, where very, very strangely strict TV rules. So if it's like before 9 p.m., uh, you're not allowed to curse or, you know, do very many explicit things. It's a very fine line to read, to, I mean, to, to ride, not read. I mean, weirdly enough, after 9 p.m., we're more <laughs> liberal when it compared to America, like, one of our biggest shows is Naked Attraction, which is people standing around naked and... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 strangers get on stage and judge each other's naked bodies to be like, yeah, I'd fuck you. And, and, it's, and it's, full se- it's full nudity. It's very strange. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're an interesting bunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the Doctor then completely lies and says that the uh the 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 gargoyle that they just saw looked like it was made of stone which come on it fucking didn't uh... <laughs> again some kind of like padding in the suit could have made it look at least more realistic they've got like scales on it where yeah. the wings are if they had that over the whole body i think it would look a lot better because yeah. the scales don't look terrible but it's the spandex that looks so bad yeah, they could have just stuffed some like polystyrene in the suit to make it at least look less human and more stiff, I guess. Yeah, a little bit harder to move around in. Yeah. Uh, and and then Joe's like that, but that wasn't the monster that Hawthorne described seeing because if you remember last week, Hawthorne described seeing the devil and he was like twenty billion foot tall and stuff like that. And the doctor's like, no, it wasn't him. And Joe's like, but are neither of these people were the devil? Uh, to which the doctor responds, no, they're not the devil that you're thinking of. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're much more real and much more dangerous. And just watching this and listening to this conversation really is putting the... Uh, obviously, because they share a lot of themes, the David Tennant episode with the devil and the black hole. And they, that, that episode, it, it seems, borrowed quite a lot of stuff from this one. Yeah. I don't remember that episode too well. I think the last time I saw it was like 2010, so... Oh, I watched it very recently. Yeah. Uh, and basically in that episode, the devil uh, is the actual embodiment of the devil. 
uh, uh, who's been around since before the universe has be began, uh, and they ended up getting trapped on this planet or whatever, but they could imprint their image of fear into people's minds, and that's where the image of the devil came from, is from this guy, and across civilizations, across religions, everything, there's always a symbol of the devil, and it's this dude here. Uh, and that's basically the core concept, which is kind of what this episode goes into with, uh, uh, you know, the ancient alien segment, mm -hmm. where it's like he's been around since the beginning of time and he helped civilization form and stuff like that. They're two very similar themes. We then cut to the master uh, talking to one of the guys that we saw in the pub, who apparently is called Winstanley. Winstanley? Winstanley. <laughs> Winstan. It's a very English name, isn't it? nobody is called Winston Lee anymore, ever. I've never even heard of that name. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he just, he, he says that they need to call a, uh, a village meeting. And the master goes very Harold Saxon in this scene. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? It's, he, he gets a very, uh, very, very Harold Saxon in the sense of a politician that's talking about like, Oh, democracy, freedom, liberty, you know, it's, 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 it's nonsense. We need to be done with it. And, you know, which I, I actually do kind of like that being a recurring theme in the master and, you know, something that with Harold Saxon, he'd become a bit obsessed with. Uh, and then he begins to hypnotize Winston Lee. I would have thought would have already been hypnotized, but I'm there. Maybe he was breaking free. Maybe he needs to like recharge for hypnotize. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. Uh, but my assumption is that Winston Lee didn't know about... I'm guessing he wasn't part of the uh, cult before because the do the master's in his vicar outfit, you know, and he's wearing the glasses and stuff, so he's in disguise mm -hmm. as uh, as uh, the magister or whatever his name was. And then you get the reveal where he starts hypnotizing him. But yeah, it does get very... It gets more cult-like as the story goes on, doesn't it? For the greater good. This is where the master tells Winston Lee that he's been responsible for all these weird supernatural occurrences that have been happening and the big storm that happened at the dig and everything like that. Winston Lee doesn't believe the power that the master had and then the master was like, fuck you, bitch, I'll prove it. Uh, and then the master goes, he closes his eyes and we hear the whirling and the swirling as the doors blast open with wind and everything in the house starts to shatter and fall apart and... Winston Lee is like, fuck, okay, I believe you. Chill out. Chill out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and this causes Winston Lee to submit. So I'm guessing the hypnosis didn't work. Yeah, it's, it's very kind of inconsistent because hypnosis seemed like it was working and then he didn't believe a master after all. It's... <laughs> that, that, yeah, so that makes two occurrences in this where the master's hypnosis hasn't worked he really chose the worst village to do this in apparently everyone's got a super strong mind <laughs> i'm trying to... if the master's hypnosis doesn't seem to work that well in general and other apps of zebra it's maybe that's why he stopped doing it <laughs> yeah the last time he did it was in with the tapping in the sound of drums yeah yeah which i fucking that's iconic though you know I'm I'm not quite sure how I feel about Master suddenly hearing drums, but you know. It's like, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I fucking love that story, then. Right. It was okay. Fuck you, miserable bitch. Right. We then we then cut to Hawthorne carrying so many books. 
she she gives them over to the doctor in the pub. Uh, and the 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 books are all about different cults and magic stuff and the within within the the borders of this here United Kingdom. But yeah, it, it does seem like the last episode was definitely filler because if you just skip the last episode, not much is missed. Here, the doctor yeah. is given his ex- explanation, and like the only thing from last episode that you would need to watch is the gargoyle coming in and attacking which it starts this episode so you literally you could have skipped last week's episode uh, and the as, dome kind of covering the town but yeah the, it, really. the, do- the dome bit's pretty pretty important as well uh but besides those like two things but the none, rest of the episode was was filler but none of the villagers seem to acknowledge the dome yeah it's just to keep uh the army away until the big yeah. climactic finale but like none of it villagers who's not hypnotized by a master is like for some reason i can't get out of time and <laughs> anyone know why <laughs> my car exploded when I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hawthorne's adamant that the you know the doctor doesn't need to explain anything because it's obvious that the supernatural is what's causing all of this stuff and it's the work of the devil to which the doctor goes nonsense don't be so <laughs> stupid <laughs> and his explanation of um aliens that have been on earth for a thousand was it a hundred thousand years isn't that much more believable it's also correct but it's still but it could sound yeah. nonsense as well yeah the 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 doctor's a big fan of the tv show ancient aliens uh and he he's like yeah this is something i can get behind yeah, aliens built the pyramids aliens built the mayan pyramids you know jesus christ he was an alien it all makes sense. <laughs> but I guess that was a new concept around this time. Just everything strange on Earth is aliens. Which is... I do I do wonder when that concept came about. Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably became more popular, if I had to guess, around the same time Roswell. You know, back, back in the big UFO sighting craze when everyone was, like, quote-unquote getting abducted and you know the the greys and things like that yeah that was like uh, what the mid 50s not too far back from mid- this episode yeah 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 not not too far removed from this and then you know alien sightings and alien conspiracies only got more popular after that uh so you can you can totally understand why they would do it and why it would seem vaguely believable I mean, like, even to any layman, if you're describing some sort of mystery that's, like, unexplainable in history because we simply don't have the, you know, knowledge or the evidence for it because it was so long ago and it's been removed, if you're like, yeah, but they they drew this guy here who looks like this, and then 12,000 miles away, they drew a guy who looks kind of similar, mm. so uh, that's an alien, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> like... It it does make more sense when the actual devil somehow lives in yeah. the Earth's core. <laughs> yeah, like I can I can totally get why someone would believe it would be aliens. I mean, like like with anything, some people take it way too far, but it's definitely a concept that I think is really fun to think about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is a great bit where uh, the doctor's about to tell them though what 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 everything's going on with he's like well if there are no more interruptions i'll tell you what's going on and then he immediately gets interrupted <laughs> by a uh, ringing phone a mobile phone that's very calling the future isn't it 
when was the first mobile um, like the 80s hmm. yeah i mean it's a radio but, yeah you know it's ringing and beeping like a mobile did radio radios beep i've never really used a handheld radio i don't know like the only thing i've used is like walkie talkies so i don't yeah. know yeah but uh, uh this is yates correct um what yes uh yates's uh, radio is beeping and he he answers it and he's like hello and we see the uh, brigadier on on the on the radio. Um, so the guy behind brigadier, the scientist, is called Osgood. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I went, oh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but sadly, this she, he he isn't related to the Osgood we know, the female Osgood, which is kind of a missed opportunity, I think. At least I don't think they're related. Maybe they've said they're related in like a big finish spinoff or something. Entirely possible, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know it's uh, it's fun. I get why they why why they made Osgood call, be called Osgood. It's a very very niche little reference back to this this episode of Doctor Who, because uh, I don't know if Osgood shows up again ever. Um, can't quite recall. He does. Yeah. He does in extended media. He winds up. <laughs> Um, owning like a little tea shop with Yates. Great. <laughs> Soon after this episode as well, like I guess this event was so stressful for him, he was like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna own a tea <laughs> shop." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, with the brigadier, and then it's the brigadier's daughter that's in charge. I get why they would want to have someone called Osgood because it's like a fun callback. Mm. Not making them be related is just silly. I would totally have them be related. I think that would be fun. Especially when Osgood spends most of her scenes with uh, uh, the Brigadier's daughter. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, massively. And this is where we find out that there's, like, a line in the 50th anniversary where Osgood's like, <laughs> oh, you know, my, my dad used to work with her dad. And we're like, we've just completely well, I, I do I do want to look this up. Give me a second. <laughs> Okay, and um, Stephen Moffat admitted his intention when writing for Osgood was to be the daughter of Tom Osgood. However, he did not want to state this definitively in the script as to not confuse or annoy some viewers. Like, I mean, you could have just done a throwaway line, I think. Yeah, you, you could have done a throwaway line. And, like, you know, I, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Moffat's made niche references yeah than than osgood before like when he brings back the brigadier in the 12th doctor era most people are probably confused like why is he still listening about cyberman <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, interesting isn't it very interesting and then in some short story osgood's father is named frank though this confirmation does not de- negate the possibility of tom osgood still being related to Pentranilla? I don't know who that is. <laughs> the, Os- the female Osgood. That's her right. first name. Oh apparently. yeah, that's her first. She has a very silly first name, doesn't she? Yes. So I guess we're related, but it wasn't strongly stated. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we were both right. I mean, we were <laughs> we were agreeing, so we were right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where the brigadier informs everybody about the. Uh, a big ball of fire that's enveloped the village. Uh, Yates is like, why? Why haven't you tried to go around the bubble? And then Brigadier is like, what the fuck did you think I just did? 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I, yeah, believe it or not, that did occur to me. <laughs> it's an unbroken circle of 10 miles. I was right last week. Yeah, yeah, it is 10 miles in diameter. So I guess this, the village sign's wrong because the village sign definitely says one mile. Or I guess the bubble extends somewhat out of the village, but the village is like in a remote area. There's nothing surrounding it. I, d- I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, it's a 10-mile ten, a ten radius around the village, emanating from the church. Well, big shock, eh? <laughs> uh, the, the doctor co- uh, grabs the radio off uh, Yates and says to Lethbridge Stewart, he's like, uh, why don't you try flying over it? See see if you can fly over it. To which uh, uh, Lethbridge Stewart's like, oh, the, the, the RAF are here now. Let's just see what happens to these guys, shall we? Also, isn't that the plot of a Simpsons movie? The only way they get out of the dome is by the, the, top, the top. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Uh, and then we cut to what I assume must be stock footage of a RAF plane. Yes, it looks very stock footage. Uh, stock footage shot later on. I think it's this episode taken from Russia with Love, which is a James Bond film. It's oh, a, is it it's, really? it's the helicopter exploding. Oh. oh but, I did not know that. But I think the shot was unused in From Russia with Love, so it's hmm. exclusive to Doctor Who, apparently. So, interesting. That is very interesting. But we then, we then cut back to uh, the Brigadier. And Osgood inside whatever base facility thing they seem to be inside as we hear the sounds of the plane exploding uh, in the distance, uh, which is... Ah, no, they fi- they didn't explode, sorry. They fired a test canister uh, onto it, which is obviously way safer than yes. just <laughs> flying the plane right into the dome. A- uh, any other show would have had the... Plane guy. To, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's smart writing to have it the other way around. Yeah, uh, so they're... Uh, and the the canisters both exploded as as they hit the dome, and this is how they figure out that it's it's definitely like a full dome covering from ground to sky over this village. There is no way in; it's completely impenetrable. But going back to under the dome and the Simpsons movie, could they just dig underneath? <laughs> like they never they never figure out if they could do that or not in any of these kind of scenarios. I mean, yeah, they could. you could probably try, but my assumption would be for this for the dome in The Simpsons, you could probably dig underneath it because you see that you see the entire dome. Yeah, uh, I don't know about under the dome because I've never seen it or read it. But with this, with it being a heat thing, my guess would be if you made a hole, like it would just become too hot to pass. I think you know? in I think in under the dome is like an electric field, so very similar to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you could have totally dug under it in the Simpsons uh, movie. But <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor just hangs up when the Brigadier is still wanting to talk to him as well. It's like very rude. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we cut to the Doctor explaining everything that's uh, going on and how the dome works with a very, very, very well drawn illustration of the dome like yeah. i think just looking at that picture it explains everything but it's it doesn't go underneath hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you could probably just dig for a mile underneath the ground and then make a little tunnel and make it go back up it's it, it would probably be worth a shot yeah uh, <laughs> but uh they they uh the doc the doctor's explaining everything with the drawing 
uh, and this is this is where Yates is like, yeah, I I get the dome bit, Doctor, but could you ex- could you explain more of the plot to us, please? Uh, <laughs> to which the Doctor is more than happy to oblige, and he's got a PowerPoint presentation prepared. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's very in character for the Doctor not to explain it well enough, and people are like, uh, can you please explain it to us? <laughs> like I think every incarnation has at least had like maybe six moments like that. Uh, to which the doctor then starts uh, his class on ancient Egypt, where he's showing <laughs> uh, old drawings of uh, an Egyptian god with with horns. Uh, he then changes the slide. I have to say, I'm a big fan of the old projector with the the moving pieces of film to switch out the images. <laughs> yes, I, I love very... it. It's great. <laughs> Uh, he then shows off a Hindu demon, which also has horns. Are you noticing a theme here? And I and I love how the entire cast just go, you know, at the same time with horns. It's like <laughs> it's it's like a primary school where the teacher is like leading on the answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he shows a third image of the horned beast. I wonder if he's got horns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, it's just like. I don't get it. I mean, the doctor's like, well, that's because I haven't explained it yet, you fuckhead. <laughs> He's like, I'm building up to something here. Like, <laughs> uh, And this is this is where Hawthorne's like, come on, you could show us things for as long as you want. Mankind has always thought horns are like a, a source of evil since like forever. And the doctor's like, yes, exactly. But why have we thought that, you know? Uh, and then he gets the current open and ends his PowerPoint presentation. I thought like... I think this whole scene of exposition and, you know, stuff to understand why the villain is the way he is, is done really well in a really interesting way, you know? It makes you think about history and stuff like that. Like, like as I was talking about with Ancient Aliens, where you're like, you can kind of get it and you can understand why someone would believe it. Uh, John I think Pert- it's, it's, it's very well done. John Pertwee is also very good at giving off exposition. Like, I would just... I'd be happy to just listen to him just talk in a class. It's very fascinating to just hear how he's ex- explaining it. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is the scene where where he goes all ancient aliens, where he's like, uh, you know, man has always drawn these images and they've they've thought of them as myths, as gods, as deities, and things like that. But they're not. They're aliens. <laughs> I mean, he's correct at least. <laughs> Yeah, he he has some actual evidential knowledge, being an I, I, alien himself. Yeah, and also you know there is the evidence of the UFO that they found under the town, and then there was a thing here that I found interesting is um, uh, uh, Pertwee describes them as demons, uh, mm-hmm. which is how it's how it's written. But then later on, in I think the next episode when we meet the 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 big bad guy, he describes himself as a demon. Uh, so I was like, for fuck's sake, choose one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's a very imprecise pronunciation. Like I, it, I, I, I'm almost certain the correct way is daemons. Like that AE symbol is A. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So I go with Birdly over the actual daemon himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he he says that these, these, these aliens that we've thought are gods are called daemons, uh, and they come from the planet Deimos, uh, which is which is a thing in sci-fi that I never know if I like or not, you know, because we're humans, but we don't come from the <laughs> yeah. planet Humos. We come from the planet Earth. Uh, yeah. 
like why would you why would you name your planet after your species or your species after your planet but also you know we do call ourselves earthlings mm. when describing in a sci-fi manner so it you know whatever really it's just a, a, a I, I understand why they do it for the ease of you know cinematic storytelling and storytelling in general but it's just a, like a tiny nitpick thing yeah also if you introduce the planet name and the alien name it gets it's too new english words we're learning it gets confusing to the point where we don't know which one's a planet and which one's a monster unless you go very silly with it like with the slovene where you're like oh yeah they're the slovene from the planet rocks a crocodile and then we discover that the uh the the daemons came to earth nearly 100,000 years ago and i'm curious as to when the fir- the oldest depiction of a god is it must be around then surely let's google it <laughs> yes let's exactly. see how historically accurate the daemons could possibly be uh i found one about jesus uh 235 235,000 years ago uh, just <laughs> Dated to about 235, so I guess BC. No, not mm. BC, AC. Yeah, AD. AD. Who was the very first god? Uh, Brahma is the Hindu creator of yeah. God. When was Brahma? So, Brahma. I, oh, sorry, you go. I, I found a thing here from a website called. Sisson, spelled C-I-S-I-O-N, uh, and God knows how much of a reputable source it is. Uh, probably not very much of one, but they say that the in two thousand they published this in two thousand eleven. The oldest uh, religious symbol ever was discovered, and it was thirty four thousand year old piece of cave art uh, of a horse with wings. All right, so that's not, yeah. So a hundred a hundred thousand years, you know, you could definitely fit that in with the the demons coming. Especially with how undeveloped society was then as well. Like you could mm-hmm. definitely be like, oh, they didn't. Like when was Earth inhabited? When did the first human arrive on Earth? Or recorded? Oh, millions of years ago. When was the first Homo sapien? Uh, do, 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 do. the first Homo sapien, first human, or biggest early steps, blah 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 blah, uh, between five and seven million years ago. It's insane. Like the first. Uh, when did the first first Homo sapiens start appearing around two hundred thousand years ago? So you know that's a hundred thousand years of living with uh, Neanderthals, and then the the aliens come and give us religion and we're like cool let's kill the neanderthals uh, <laughs> yeah pretty much it's interesting yeah it's insane how old the earth actually is <laughs> yeah it's 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 uh there's a certain point you know it's like when you're describing the universe or the galaxy or something like that or the number infinity the you know the the monkey brain that we have uh, just can't think of something that big or that large and it's also yeah. it's also insane like how long people have been on Earth, and most major developments have been only around in like the last two hundred years, maybe. It's insane. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, one of the conspiracy theory things. Uh, this is a very big, heavy conspiracy episode uh, <laughs> that 
people that follow like say something like the daemons of aliens coming and giving technology to humans is around about the same time across the world so like six and a half thousand years ago people you know started inventing the wheel and started inventing civilization and having these massive leaps in technology almost simultaneously in different parts of civilization and people are like what caused that massive spike in knowledge and technology almost at the same time thousands of years ago uh and which some people are like it was obviously aliens coming down and bestowing this upon us otherwise you know we would have never discovered it on our own uh if that's true or not who fucking knows but it's it's fun to think about it's insane like we i wish i had a time machine just to see what things were like <laughs> that'd be insane <laughs> yeah uh, that just made me think of one of my favorite David Tennant quotes with Martha, where they travel back in time, and Martha's like, we're back in time, but what if I step on a butterfly or something? Won't that have horrible consequences? And the doctor's like, no, but just, you know, if you're worried, don't step on any butterflies. And why would you step on a butterfly anyway? What do they ever do to you? <laughs> like... <laughs> I, th- I think Doctor Who needs more companions who's at least aware of, like, sci-fi tropes. Like, um... Yeah. The recent Christopher Eccleston box set had one like that, but the actual show, it would be interesting to just see somebody who's been raised on sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, rather than just being like a regular boring member of, functioning member of society. We've gone way off track, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) A big, big conversation about human history and conspiracy (laughs) theories. But... but uh, back to the episode, we cut to the master chilling in the, the, the uh, I guess it's the church. I don't quite know where they are. Yeah, it's a bit, I think they're like the lobby of the church at least. Mm-hmm. But it's like a town meeting that he yeah. had requested everyone for him earlier. Just just in the middle of the hallway, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no chairs or anything. Yeah, and they're, they're, they decided not to do this in the town hall. Or the, the, the main lobby of the church, you know, with all the pews and stuff where people could sit. Yeah. It's like, nah, just, just get, you know, most of the village crammed into this, like, op- this, like lobby of a hotel room. Ah, that'll do. <laughs> like, uh, then, as the master steps forward to give his speech to uh, the, the, uh, the, the eager masters, masses, we, uh, we cut back to the doctor and Joe. And the the Joe's very confused at how there could be a spaceship that's 15 inches long. And the doctor's like, yep, it's 15 inches long. But when it landed, it was 200 feet uh, long and 30 feet across. But they diminished it. And I'm very curious as to what the fuck that means. Uh, <laughs> how how do you... Does he, does he go on to explain it? Yeah, he kind of does. But it's kind of like in a mumbo-jumbo kind of way. Yeah, so... Uh, the spaceship, which was 200 by 30 uh, in size, is now a few inches long because they've been using the technology to create uh, these like massive weather storms and stuff like that. And Joe's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And the doctor's like, come on, E equals MC squared. So my assumption here is that by shrinking the spaceship, they can cause these uh, almost supernatural-esque events to happen. Yeah, I think like that's what the, we're going for. Yeah. But, uh, like, I guess shrinking equals cold. Uh, growing equals hot. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. I do love how smart Pertwee is, though. Like, 
yeah it's, it's, really it's, good. it's it's very nice to just listen to him and you know this scene is basically just explaining that big long divergent that we went on about the like humans overtaking neanderthals and that being responsible with aliens and stuff and you know uh pertwee puts it probably much more elegantly than i did when i was discussing it but pertwee probably is like the most the smartest doctor at least like yeah but, but here's a question about regeneration did he know about knowledge before he regenerated or did he gain the knowledge from this regeneration how does a regeneration gain its knowledge yeah, I that's that's one of the things that I don't think we'll ever get the answer to. I think Jodie's doctor actually described the regeneration the best, where she's like, she finds herself pulled towards certain things and certain ideas and stuff like that, and she just has to trust her instincts that she knows what the fuck's gonna happen if she does it, and yeah. so her body takes over. So it's it it yeah, it really makes you question how much is it the doctor and how much is it this body? Like, where did those two meet? Yeah, it's really weird. It's like the incarnation has lived a life already. And then yeah. suddenly... <laughs> it's such a weird concept now you think yeah, about it's, it. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very strange concept. It reminds me in Star Trek, the uh, Deep Space Nine, there's an alien. I don't remember what the alien is, but you know, it's essentially an allegory for trans uh, people, which is super progressive and very well handled uh, wow. for a 90s tv show but it's basically this alien which lives symbiotically with uh another member of its planet so it's like this weird little like worm that lives in the stomach of people and this worm retains memories has personality everything like that and its host that it takes over is completely voluntary but like they live their entire own life for 20 years before this worm comes into their body and then when they when the worm takes over, you know they lose that life completely. They essentially die, and it becomes this worm inside them, and that worm has all this memory and uh, whatever the fuck. So you know it just reminds me of that and the fact you know like this is a body that's lived a whole life, and now I'm in charge of it. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Also, you could cut this out of the episode, but I realized where you can watch the Orville, which is like the Seth MacFarlane. Star oh, yeah. Trek show, you can watch it on uh, Disney Plus Canada. I know we've got a VPN, so you could oh. change region and watch it on uh, Disney Plus uh, Canada. I didn't realize N Disney Plus had regional exclusives. I just assumed everything was uh, region free for Disney uh, since it, they own it. It's only because uh, stars, like all the Fox stuff, already had like different contracts before. Mm. So now, like every Star show has different places but yeah it's a really good show you should watch it i i i very much very much will uh and this is this is where the doctor explains that they're, they're not using magic at all they're they're using highly advanced science which is i think the same uh excuse marvel uses for magic in their universe it's like doctor strange isn't using magic he's using a form of science that they just don't fully understand yeah it's it doesn't work well in the Marvel universe. I don't think it's like, they, <laughs> like when there's no limit to science. It's mm. yeah. But I guess we do have like alien technology, and alien technology can take on any kind of form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's insane. <laughs> but the the doctor goes on to describe how. The aliens aren't necessarily evil, but they don't care about the Earth. Uh, you know, they were willing to help out humans and advance their society and get rid of Neanderthals and everything like that. 
not out of the benevolence of them, but more as an experiment because they see the Earth and humankind as like lab rats, and it's it's interesting to see what they would do. Uh, and then there's a super weird bit uh, in this episode where they're they're saying that the demon could end the world if they wanted to because it's like a failed experiment to them. Uh, then <laughs> Joe looks directly into the camera and goes, "The end of the world." <laughs> <laughs> Where about is this? What? What? Uh, just before it cuts to the master, <laughs> just looking right down the lens. Okay, yeah. The end <laughs> of the world. <laughs> they did this a lot in like the nineteen seventies. It's just to build tension into the audience. It's like now you're in on the plan as well, audience. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's okay. You understand, right? It's it's not a TV show. It's the real world. That's why I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> there is that episode of Doctor Who where it ends and uh, the Doctor, played by William Hartnell, turns to the camera and says, Merry Christmas to all of you at home. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I wonder, I thought I just had... You know, in Capaldi's later seasons, he would start looking at the camera. Yeah, uh, start... listen, listen opens with him giving mm-hmm. us a lecture. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I don't. I, won- <laughs> I, I wonder if that was a reference to classic Who, looking yeah. into the lens all the time. Where, I, I, don't th- I don't think it's even just classic Who. I think it was just television in the 1970s. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely more like a stage play. Where we sometimes basically turn to the audience and like let's swim in on what's going on in the story. <laughs> we then cut to the master giving his speech to the the public. I do love seeing um, the difference between the doctor and the master. Just we're both telling them some of the plot and just explaining shit and expecting people to listen to them, but the way we both do it is very different. Yeah, what's interesting is people are much more welcoming and willing to listen to the master than they are the doctor. You know, with the doctor, when the doctor came in wanting to talk, everyone was shrugging him off and telling him to shut up. Whereas here, and you know, there's like brainwashing or whatever involved, but everyone is in the town listening to the master talk as he then begins to insult every single one of them. Also, <laughs> also the master presents himself more as a, like a charming man, whereas the doctor presents himself as... Everyone in this room has less intelligence than me. me, Yeah, yeah. Which is a very interesting dynamic, seeing how, like, uh, the master is basically his Moriarty. Like, yeah. Uh, But the the master goes on to explain how he feel. He's not been in the town long, but he thinks he he really knows everybody already, and he starts picking and choosing people out. He's like Mister Thorpe, you know. I, I, I know that you've been uh, uh, overcharging people in your shop. <laughs> uh, and he, and he, he goes, he's like, and Charlie, you've been, you've been uh, uh, cooking the books at the post office. You know, you've... <laughs> and, then, and then the one that I thought was probably the weirdest and the most dated is he's like, and you, Mr. Granville, your wife's left you. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> the shame of that you <laughs> especially in a religious town where it's probably like a sin to leave your to leave your significant other or whatever mm-hmm. yeah it's 
it's it's it's it's the one moment in this and i think in all five episodes where i went ooh, that's a bit of its time isn't it <laughs> like and this is where the the doctor not the doctor god the master uh takes off his glasses and tells people you know do what i say and listen to me which i don't know if he's actually hypnotizing them but if i, I like to think he is because he's taken off his glasses yeah he's, he's looking very intently at everyone <laughs> mm-hmm we then cut back to uh, the 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 doctor saying oh. that the demon will show up three times and then he'll tell you if the world's going to end or not. Also, it's it's interesting. I just noticed this. Um, both the doctor and the master are speaking kind of with the same energy, almost at the same pace. And it's yeah, almost. Uh, they're it's both. Al- yeah, it's almost like oh. we're having the same conversation with people, except it's two different ends of the same coin it's interesting yeah yeah and and you know it takes up quite a chunk of this episode is both the master and the doctor talking and explaining stuff to crowds of people it's it's a very very fun you know we're halfway uh, through this we're halfway through this story and the master and the doctor haven't met yet and it's you, you already get like a sense of their dynamic in this episode uh, the uh, the the shopkeep is like, ah, oh, you, you don't you don't really need me, uh, or anything right now. You, you are you hungry? And they're like, no, we're fine. He's like, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go clean up the uh, the bar then. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Yates's radio starts to beep again, and he he starts talking to the brigadier, and the brigadier's like, we're gonna blow it up. We're gonna <laughs> blow up the dome. <laughs> It's a very brigadier answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the doctor's um, uh, refute to the brigadier, where he's like, "What a stupid idea you've got there, uh, uh, Lethbridge Stewart. You know, you're first of all, you, you'd you'd make the 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 thing the dome worse. You'd you'd anger the demon that's looking on us and bring about hell to us. And also, thirdly, I've got a much better <laughs> idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great." Uh, the brigadier's um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Metaphor for what he is at the moment is so peculiar. Where he's like, "Well, what's your idea, doctor? I don't want to sit around like a spare lemon." <laughs> like... I love, I love a little pause as if he's trying to think of something intelligent to reply with. He just, he's not intelligent enough to just come up with a metaphor. Yeah. But when there's like a moment of hesitation where he's like. Oh, this sounds stupid, but I'm a spare lemon. Wait for a squeezer. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 perfectly delivered for how silly the line is. Like <laughs> Nicholas Courtney is fantastic. <laughs> uh, and this is where the doctor explains his plan to build a scientific doohickey to uh <laughs> to to stop the dome. It's sci-fi mumbo jumbo stuff, and he's like, "Is your." Is your tech guy there? And he's like, oh, yeah, he's here. He's here. Uh, he has to build a EHF wide bandwidth variable phase oscillator, which is pure, utter nonsense. Uh, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. John Pertley has a load of just gibberish techno garble, and he presents it as if it's a real thing. It's very realistic the way he just says it. Yeah. You know, it's... At, at least he hasn't, and I'm sure at some point he 100% said it, but at least he hasn't so far in this episode said we need to reverse the polarity 
Uh, <laughs> he, he, he actually does. <laughs> I, great. Either, either this episode or next episode. <laughs> it's the most, you know, they did it in Back to the Future and everything. It's the most 20th century sci-fi thing, which I think the Doctor even in Yoohoo has said, or they've made, they've poked fun at reversing polarity. Yeah. Yeah, like... But my, one of my favorite third Doctor idiosms is just reverse the polarity of a neutron flow. It's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the brigadier and the tech guy just don't understand that all the instructions the doctor's given. He's like, "Okay, fine. I'll I'll go and I'll tell you again in person." <laughs> I just, I just, I just love his attitude for a doctor. He's just, he's like, "I'm surrounded by idiots. I need to explain this." Which I think works really well for his doctor because you know this is a doctor that's trapped on Earth that has no contact with his own people, can't use his TARDIS, is surrounded by not just any place in Earth, 1970s Earth, where he's like... <laughs> you know, the technology's outdated, nobody knows anything really about anything. You can understand why he'd be really short-fused with everybody. But I do, but I do love for us a bit later on, just in a couple of seconds, I guess, where Joe calls the Brigadier something an idiot or something i mean the doctor's like you have to respect brigadier he's he's dealing with something unimaginable like there's still a level of respect the doctor has for his companions yeah and it's something that knew who especially the moffat era did not entirely entirely get because there was a whole arc in series eight where the doctor refuses to salute soldiers even though here he respects the soldiers enough to be their friends and visit them several times. It's not just um, Moffat that made the Doctor not salute. Russell T. Davis did the same with David Tennant. Mm. David Tennant uh, specifically, uh, I think he's with Unit or he's with Torchwood, says that he never salutes anyone with a gun. You know? Yeah, I think it was with Torchwood. With Torchwood, mm -hmm. it's at least they're more violent. Yeah, but you know it's. But Moffat made it explicitly clear it was the brigadier the doctor refused <laughs> to salute, which does like you, you've seen this episode. Do you think the doctor would refuse to salute the brigadier? You know, I kind of do. I hmm. I think instead of saluting, they would you know he'd be like, God, oh, don't just shake my hand, goddammit. Like, <laughs> I think there's enough level of respect between the two of them. Like, I think the doctor has so much respect for him that he wouldn't want the brigadier to salute him because saluting, you know, you salute your superior. Mm. I, whereas I don't think the doctor would ever want to see himself as the superior to the brigadier and instead would want to shake his hands as equal men, you know? That's fair. Uh, we then cut back to the the master continuing with his speech. He's, he's, he's basically not saying much other than, I want to be in charge, please put me in charge, please, 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 please. <laughs> he, he's got a very uh, what's his face from our Simpsons episode March versus the monorail he's very much like <laughs> he's like when he comes into a broken town he's like I can do anything to make this town better <laughs> yeah. it's like a used car sales one uh, and then uh, he gets uh, the 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 is it the bartender that bursts through the door yeah, the doc, uh, the one that's been cleaning the bar. 
yeah, who's secretly been working for the master. He bursts through the door and uh, the, the master's like, how dare you interrupt me? Why do you interrupt me? And the guy's like, the doctor. And then the master's like, oh, shh, shh, quiet. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we see the master and the, the bartender speak inaudibly together and get given given uh, a, a secret, secret instructions. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> um, I do love how the master kind of drops his facade here. He just gets more angry and towards the villagers i and then after he gives off the the um instructions almost like entirely inaudibly he then gets back up giving his speech and he he basically reassumes the persona that he was giving it's a very you see the change in his dynamic where you know he's like fuck i need to be serious come over here we're going to speak very quietly as i give you these instructions and then he comes back up and he's so like loud and energetic and being like yes we can do this people you know it's it's a very nice uh, split in his performance that he's giving. Yeah, he, he definitely feels more like um, a character who's been cornered, essentially. Like, he's running out of time. He needs to get the town members more active into his plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he doesn't fully convince the, the townsfolk uh, and he's like, fuck it! Do as I say or I'm gonna kill you all! <laughs> like... <laughs> and then our favourite character comes in. Yes, the, uh, <laughs> like a Power Rangers villain, the gargoyle jumps through the window, <laughs> and uh, uh, poses, and it looks so stupid. And then at the bottom of the stairs, we see a guy whose name he was like the 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 pressed pressed the posh name guy. He's like completely terrified and frozen, as if he's like trying to fight back the demon from attaching onto him. But the gargoyle's nowhere near him. He's at the top of the stairs. I thought it was so silly looking. <laughs> yeah, he'd have just definitely ran away or something. <laughs> or at least tried to. I wonder if there's different people playing the gargoyle. I think it's the same guy. And maybe it's just in this shot. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to come off as insensitive here. Or any, the, the, uh, the suit seems to be more obvious around his stomach. And this, and this guy, it could just be the way that he's sitting. Uh, whereas in the last shot, the the it, the guy seemed a little bit more slender. But yeah, it's possible. We could have, it could have gone. Maybe the actor became unavailable or something. Maybe that's potentially. Yeah, you know, it was it was exterior shots before. Now, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe they had two guys. Uh, you know, one to do some uh, stunts. One guy to do the more jumping around stuff. But uh, he, he zaps the posh guy's name and he vanishes. I like the flash from the gargoyle's hand as he shoots out the sparks. The vanishing effect, I think, needs a little bit of special effects on it. Like a puff of smoke or some yeah. fizzle. At least, to, just... at least to hide the transition from the like 10 seconds it took for the guy to walk off screen <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 a bit rough watching the just the the body go boop and just vanish but... like like the transition of a uh, brigadier throwing the stick at the at the dome worked because there is a puff of smoke covering the brigadier up yeah here there is no smoke <laughs> yeah it's it's not the best looking Again, 1971 on TV is something that you only see once. It's it's not too bad. Star Trek could do it. Star Trek, know? Star Trek, that was the had... 60s. 
But Star Trek had a much bigger budget behind it, a much. Well, I would say I was going to say much more support behind its network, but no, that's not true. No, it got cancelled after three seasons. (laughs) (laughs) At least Doctor Who got a full twenty-six season run, which is unheard of. (laughs) Uh, There's EastEnders, which is on like season five thousand now, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not a sci-fi show, is it? Yeah, yeah. Although it did cross over with Doctor Who, so I guess it is a sci-fi show. <laughs> we, we, we had that whole crossover in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, EastEnders, the longest-running sci-fi show on British television. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that EastEnders crossover. It's <laughs> wild. I've never seen an episode of EastEnders in my life, so I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> Uh, but with the murder of that man, the master has pretty much taken control of the village. Everyone is pretty much submitting to him out of fear at this point. We then cut to... Uh, uh, who's the man in the red shirt? What's his name? Uh, Yates. Uh, Yates climbing into the helicopter. And we see we see uh, brown cloaked man. Who's brown shirt man? Oh shit, that's not Yates. Never mind, that's... Uh, oh, one of the master's it's, disciples yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the it. disciples Yates comes and attacks him though uh, so there's there's uh, one of the master's minions climbing into the helicopter and Yates runs out and is like fucking get out the helicopter uh, and then it leads on to a pretty prolonged fight scene yeah of uh, grown men shoving each other into the grass it's, it's not the best choreographed, is it? It's just shoving. And I don't think it was choreographed at all. I think it was <laughs> like like the direction would be okay. So like he's got to try and get in the helicopter. You've got to stop him and just kind of grapple around and throw each other around a bit, and then we'll we'll get it. <laughs> like, Again, we only had like two weeks to film in this small village. It's yeah, it's surprisingly then, well directed for that limited amount of time. And then a very seventies way of showing a punch. We see Yates going to punch the camera, and then we cut to uh, the perspective of the guy getting punched as a fist comes to his face, and then we repeat that for a few shots. It's pretty fun. It's very Henry Cavill in the last Mission Impossible movie. He does not react to the punches at all. (laughs) Yeah, the the guy's shrugging them off like they're nothing. He even has the Henry Cavill mustache from Mission Impossible (laughs) Fallout. I've not seen that Mission Impossible movie. Oh, dude. Uh, the there's one. so many there's so many of them uh i like i thought like the last one i saw was the mission impossible four or five <sighs> the one in Dumb. mumbai with simon Pegg when he first came. yeah that the, was the, the number four yes yeah the, i saw four and then i remember hearing about fallout and be like oh that, uh, that's cool they made a fifth one and then it's like, no, that's like the sixth or seventh. And I was like, what the fuck? I miss so many movies. <laughs> so Mission Impossible is one of those franchises. I can't remember a se- most of what the plot is with any of the movies. But when I watch it, it's like, they're really good movies, honestly. They're fun. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I really enjoy Simon Pegg. I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> uh, the first two Mission Impossibles are garbage in my opinion but three till six is great i think every movie is good i uh, i haven't seen the first one in many years i remember enjoying the first one it, it's very outdated in terms of yeah. like pacing and shit i don't know if i've seen the second and third one any time i don't remember anything from them i know john woo directed one of them and it's really weird 
Yeah, the uh, second one is John Woo, yes. <laughs> a lot of slow motion, bicycle doves. stunts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, they're fine movies. I'm just... I'm not the biggest consumer of action films, so... Neither am I, but Mission Impossible is one of my favorite action franchises. Speaking of Mission Impossible, this is sure is a, a climactic fight these guys are having. Uh... As as he as he like Captain Kirk karate chops uh, <laughs> Yates to the ground, and then runs back into the helicopter. I, I, is there a reason why that guy is so strong? He got punched in the face like four times. He didn't react a single time. Like my punches... assumption, my assumption is he's under the possession of the master, hmm. and the master's like taken over his body so that you know he's not in control of himself so he doesn't react or feel any pain because he's just like a, a drone essentially doing a mission mm, that might be possible but he does seem to have like super strength is my point. yeah it, yeah it's it's not explained we don't know who the guy is we literally we just cut to a scene of a man running into a helicopter like <laughs> also his punches uh, don't land so yeah uh, the man gets to the helicopter and he he takes it off as yates gets up off the ground and is like fuck I better fucking shoot at this with a pistol. Uh, <laughs> like the worst weapon to use to shoot to down a fire helicopter. fire a helicopter, yeah. And unbelievably, uh, he misses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, never giving up, Yates then is like, I know how I'll catch this helicopter. A motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he, he, he climbs onto the motorbike and... and begins the high-speed chase it's a very very action-heavy section of this episode which you know i thought was i thought it was a pretty fun section yeah and it's really For, well shot considering everything you understand and see everything that's going on in the action sequence yeah it's 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 pretty well put together and you know for 70s tv it gave me big a-team vibe yeah uh it, de- but, it definitely it, it definitely doesn't hold up to like today's no not level. at all but it but still looks really impressive for the era. The only thing I think it has going against it is that it literally comes out of nowhere and nobody explains what's going on. Like... <laughs> yeah. But the, but the guy is using a helicopter to try and mow down the Doctor and Joe. Yeah, I know, Which... but like it just suddenly cuts to a man jumping in a helicopter and then Yates is fighting him and then it's like, what the fuck? Why are we in an action scene? (laughs) (laughs) And so far it's been like 15 minutes of the doctor and the master talking and then it's like, bam, action scene. (laughs) But we, we, we then cut to the doctor and, uh, uh, Joe and Bessie driving to go see the brigadier. And then Joe's like, Oh look, it's a helicopter coming towards us. It's getting bigger. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor assumes it's Yates and Benton, you know, a, a pretty safe assumption to make that they're flying in the helicopter, and he's very confused and angry as to why they would have left it, uh, left the pub that is not the helicopter. Joe very nonchalantly says, whoever it is, he's trying to kill us. <laughs> With no sense of like, oh shit, we might die. Joe has looked death in the face many times, and every time... <laughs> Death blinks first. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, the, the shot of the helicopter chasing Bessie is actually really, really solid. 
yeah, uh, it's, you know, clearly they actually had a camera up in the helicopter as they were shooting the cars, zooming down the track and the helicopters doing sweeps over them. It looks really cool. Yeah, that's like the best shot of this episode, I would say. It's 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 very modern as well. Like, it's not out of place if you just pop that into a random Doctor Who episode now. Mm-hmm. And also they do a very good job of filming the characters as they're actually driving, like... Mikey Yates yeah, is driving his, clearly driving his uh, bike, and they're able to keep him in focus and shit. It's really good. Yeah, it's 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 you know it's the big action piece of the episode, uh, and I think it's probably the best action piece of all five episodes because I'm really the action piece in the next episode where the Doctor gets like tied up to the uh, spinning fucking things. I think that's <laughs> shit. I think that was done so poorly. <laughs> And then the action scene in the finale when the demon comes back, we'll get into it later in the episode. The yeah. special effects in that ruin that entire climax. Definitely, uh, yes. But we'll get to I, that, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in, like, I don't know, three hours' time. <laughs> or, uh, or I think I think that this this action piece here, you know, I, that's why I said it gave me A-Team vibes because it's these big sweeping shots of cars driving and, you know, it's it's done and handled really, really well and it holds up still. Like, I'm watching this, I don't know how the hell they did this. All, all five parts, all the outside scenes in two weeks. It's really impressive. They got really lucky with the fucking weather. At one point, <laughs> at one point, actually, there was a blizzard overnight. and Like, we woke up from our hotels and we're like, Oh shit, what are we gonna do? But it luckily fought out by, like, after lunch. British weather for you. <laughs> We then see that the doctor is 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 bombing it towards where the dome ends, and the brigadier's trying to warn him, like "fuck, you're gonna explode, doctor. You need to stop." Uh, as the helicopter looks on at them, uh, and then the, f- the doctor the, the 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 doctor tells Joe to hang on. He repeats it several times. He tells her, "Hang on, Joe. Hang on tight. Hang on." And then he turns the car really fucking hard, and you see Joe go flying out the door because she didn't fucking listen to him. <laughs> yeah, but what what exactly is she going to hang on to is a thing. I don't know the fucking windscreen, you know, I, something her seat. I, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, she goes flying out, uh, and the helicopter, uh, I guess, overshot their turning because they crash into the dome and explode. Yeah, so the and helicopter it, was like Vassy drove right at the point of the barrier and i guess the the guy who was hypnotized didn't know of the dome maybe yeah and this shot of the helicopter exploding you're saying is from james bond yes Hmm. fancy that it's a pretty good looking explosion you since it was borrowed from a movie you would have expected them to hold on to it a bit longer but i guess they just didn't have the the footage for it because it's it's a very brief explosion we see it's like and then it's gone yeah i believe this was also used in another doctor who episode like uh, the enemy of the world which was barry Letts's first episode on the show so it's interesting how we both interconnect yeah yeah but then we see joe uh, passed out on the floor because obviously she became unconscious after jumping out of a car at like 60 miles an hour uh <laughs> better but Better that than getting knocked unconscious by a Dalek plunger. <laughs> uh, we then cut to the master looking at the fumes of smoke coming from, I assume, the, the exploded helicopter. Yeah, but he thinks it's the doctor, so he's very happy. 
Yep, and he 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 hops and skips back into the church <laughs> as the 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 doctor runs over to check on Joe, who's unconscious. So that's the doctor was unconscious last episode, and Joe's unconscious this episode. <laughs> yeah. On last week's episode, Tegan was unconscious, and <laughs> yeah, and then the the episode before that, uh, Jody was asleep for about five minutes. Also, also uh, last episode, uh, Peter uh, Peter Davison was technically unconscious. He was lying down in that yeah, bubble yeah, wrap. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lying down in Doctor Who. <laughs> the Doctor tells Yates to take uh, uh, Joe back to the pub. Cause she needs a bit of a rest and a pint and a pie. <laughs> uh, and he's going to go chat to the brigadier. Uh, Cause uh, what I like is he described the brigadier as probably bursting a blood vessel by now from the, <laughs> just the <laughs> amount of stress that he's under, which I thought was lovely. The doctor then climbs onto a motorcycle to drive 10 feet. Because uh, <laughs> uh, he hates the environment. It's, it's also... I was about to say it's strange seeing the doctor drive so many vehicles, but he actually drives quite a bit in Yoohoo as well. You know, like Matt Smith had the anti-grav bike. Oh yeah, that was pretty weak. <laughs> I didn't. That look. was pretty good. Fuck you. It was you. okay. It was was okay. But yeah, uh, 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 John Pertwee was definitely the biggest driver in Doctor Who. Like his yeah. Who mobile again. Yeah, his. Uh, it's uh, what I find interesting actually that I never thought about is they made Bessie yellow instead of blue that's a good point yeah like just uh yeah they could have made it tardis blue also the tardis isn't in the story at all have you noticed that i i well yeah i I noticed that but uh it didn't come off as weird to me because i knew the doctor didn't have a tardis here did he yeah yeah but usually the tardis is in the background he's trying to work on it at least but this episode is missing entirely it's like one of eight stories where the tardis isn't in it Oh, I didn't know that. I just assumed John Pertwee's doctor never saw the TARDIS ever. I didn't realize he still had it. Yeah, he still had it, but he just... He was, his mind was erased. He couldn't remember how to work it or anything. So, mm. that's a weird era. <laughs> uh, we then cut to the Master and his dumb-looking gargoyle who's now acting like a puppy yes uh, like 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 just like oh hello master yeah uh, <laughs> uh, the gargoyle kind of walks three steps looks behind him walks another three steps looks behind him make sure he's still there it's... yeah he's like you following you following me you see me? <laughs> like, he's about to go run off and get his ball for the master to throw like <laughs> it's very strange <laughs> yeah the master goes back up to his altar to uh, begin Frangan. A nice bit of lighting here that I never noticed before. Uh, one, the altar's got some very nice green and orange lights on it, but just above the master's head, there's like uh, a chandelier that's forming like a halo. Above yeah, I was him. just I was just going to mention the same thing. It looks interesting. I wonder... I bet I, yeah, obviously it was intentional, I guess. Yeah, because they're in a studio. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's some very good imagery, I think. Yeah. Uh, we, then, we then cut to uh, the doctor. Uh, finally finally talking to the brigadier about everything that's going on <laughs> the first thing the brigadier <laughs> is concerned about the helicopter being exploded yeah it's it's he's like uh, twenty thousand pounds of unit money up in smoke how uh, much is that in today's money probably a lot uh 19. a line that the doctor replies with which i thought was great is like you've got the mind of an accountant <laughs> like <laughs> all you're thinking about is the fucking money how much is it in today's money? Twenty thousand pounds in nineteen seventy-one. Um, I'm gonna guess sixty thousand pound. 
£132,000. Wow, I was off by a large margin. <laughs> That's a lot I, of money. I do get why he's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's no one's fault, is it? Well, I guess. No, it's the Masters, technically. I, I guess it's Yates' fault, I guess. Like, yeah, just... he should have locked the fucking helicopter yeah. if he was <laughs> going to take it out. Like, there's no scene of them stealing the keys or anything, is it? Yeah. And then we see the heat barrier in a very nice two-shot with the Doctor on the left uh, and uh, Lethbridge Stewart on the right and this big black, like, burnt tarmac between them. I think it looks... The the actual... The way that they uh, visualize where the dome is, I think, works so, so well in this. But, Matthew, my question to you is, how did the cameraman stand without being burnt up? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. How did that happen? I never thought of that before. Oh my god. It's, it's also a very 2020 scene. We have to keep our distance. Yeah, you gotta keep socially distanced or we might catch on fire. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then the doctor picks up and throws a stone and we get basically a repeat of the effect we already saw with Lethbridge Stewart. But I think it's an effect that works really, really well still. It's, you know, I'm a big yeah. fan of it. The Doctor says a bunch of sci-fi mumbo-jumbo again about reversing the short waves of some bullshit. Uh, he, he's, about to, he's about to save a line. Is Almost. he really? Almost. Uh, but first he quotes the B-movie, where he's like, it's he impossible does. for a bumblebee to fly. <laughs> yep, I was going to say that as well, yeah. So to set the scene, there's these, uh, you know, the electrical cables you see if you drive anywhere. He's like, we need to hook up a cable over there, bring it over here. We need about 10,000 volts so that we can science the science with a little bit of science in there. And the guy's like, but that's impossible. To which uh, <laughs> John Pertwee pulls out the script of B-Movie and goes, well, according to the laws of thermodynamics, it should be impossible for a bee to fly, <laughs> which I don't believe is actually true. That surely is not true. It's like a, a famous saying. I don't even know this point. I, I, I believe anything that's said in the B-movie is gospel truth. And I was mistaken, he says, for lying in a similar scene to this in the fourth episode, Reverse Polarity. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, just a, a, a quick Google here. Are bees supposed to be able to fly? Sounds like a ridiculous question, but, you know... <laughs> If if B movie and now the doctor are saying that bees shouldn't be able to fly, perhaps they shouldn't be able to fly, and it's some sort of witchcraft that I, that we witness every day. Uh, this 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 paragraph sums it up pretty 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 precisely, I think. There's a popular misconception that bees shouldn't be able to fly. In reality, this is not true because they can and do fly all the time. <laughs> okay <laughs> that's not helpful is it and, and there's there's a bunch of science between the fly uh basically their wings produce a lot of wind right. enough to pick them up but uh yeah bees 100 percent can fly and are supposed to fly uh the bee movie lied to us yet again <laughs> first they said that a woman would be attracted to a bee <laughs> then they said <laughs> Oddly enough, this is the second day in a row I've had a conversation about the B movie unrelated to That's Doctor not Who. odd at all. <laughs> <laughs> Every I had, day. I had a conversation with it with Alex of all people. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Every day should be B movie day. Uh, 
We then we then cut to the the master lighting a few candles and getting the room smelling nice, as he prepares to fucking rock on as he throws up the uh, the symbol of the devil again the the jewel horns and begins chanting uh, to summon summon the demon. We then cut to uh, Joe who's 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 chanting shit about a cavern. Uh, there really is no point to her being unconscious, is there? No, I guess it's to just give her something to do while the doctor explains sci-fi stuff G- otherwise give, she'd just be standing there doing nothing give her something to do lie in a bed and spout nonsense <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the the doctor injects her with i'm guessing a lot of morphine uh not the doctor the other doc you know the doc the, uh, he injects her with morphine uh, i'm gonna say morphine to to knock her out and stop her feeling the pain she's having and uh, we, we, we cut to the master who's continuing his incantation. We hear a vicious rumbling. Uh, we see we see the gargoyle move. Interestingly here, uh, right. it's, it's, it's not the gargoyle from before. It's a guy in a suit pretending to be the gargoyle from before. All right. It's, also, instead of... Yeah, it's weird, oh, isn't it? Also, after the gargoyle, it's a great shot uh, it's like a low angle of the master where he's has a power of position, but when that, when the camera pans back and it's, it's a high angle and he's lost all his power, that's a fucking great shot. Yep, it's a very good shot, and we see the we see the master collapse in fear, even making himself even smaller in the frame. That's such a great! Oh my god! What is? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just appreciating the shot. Uh. But we then cut to the doctor and uh, the brigadier feeling an earthquake and even Joe wakes up from the earthquake and everyone's feeling the earthquake. We see all the characters react to it. It's an earthquake. Uh, I, 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 I always love scenes like this. Just seeing actors just pretend move around to frantically. It's great. Yeah, you'd love Star Trek. That's yes. <laughs> every episode. <laughs> uh, we then cut back to the master as, as the, the daemon looks down on him and uh, he, he's 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 trying to control the demon, be like, no, go back, go back, go back, back, uh, so, to, so, back to so, your mark, you know. Sorry, can we go back? Watch a scene with uh, Yates. I think he knocks down the lamp himself. <laughs> Hang on. The the guy on the left, in the in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he does. <laughs> so, uh, so he falls forward, bumping into some stuff. Then he goes and he grabs the, I think it's a coat hanger. Uh, yeah. And then he throws it to the ground as he's pretending <laughs> to shake. <laughs> the vandal that he is. <laughs> yeah, but then we get the scene, as I said, with the, the master uh, begging for his life, telling the demon to go back. He uh, he's, seems genuinely terrified of this thing that he's summoned. And it works. It works really well when it's a first-person perspective of uh, what's his face as Al. Yeah, uh, and uh, as the master screams, "You will destroy destroy me!" No, no. We then cut to the credits, and that's the end of the episode. And a much better cliffhanger than episode two. Like seeing the master, the most evil character at this point of Doctor Who, in total fear. Like that's a fucking great cliffhanger really sets up for the villain to be terrifying 
and you know fucking the biggest villain we've ever had to face if the master of all people's scared of it and boy does it set you up for disappointment (laughs) (laughs) and that brings us to the end of episode three of this five-part story but don't worry podcast isn't over yet we're gonna roll right on into episode fucking four baby (laughs) the episode as always begins uh basically where the last one left off and we see the master summoning azal in his uh deep dark dangerous dungeon and this is this is where he 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 was backing into the corner all scared if you remember from just a few moments ago for you but many hours ago for us (laughs) uh we then uh we we see the the master cowering away in the corner and then immediately cut to the doctor telling uh the brigadier and that to get a shift on and get this heat exchanger up and running what's taking you so long it's been like a whole week since the episode's been out. <laughs> <laughs> we then see the the soldiers of unit osgood and some other folk uh, i think they're nameless yeah I uh, think so. holding some scientific looking doohickey device as they're plugging it up into a machine and then we cut away back to the master who's continuing his fear streaking panic as he grabs some candles to fight off the demon i'm not sure what the candles are going to do <laughs> they're the demon's greatest weakness says so in the bible <laughs> fire yeah <laughs> uh we then cut to joe uh who's who's having some sort of realization about the cavern and bed i is she suddenly um uh, uh, uh got the gift of foresight like and when she realizes she has to go to the cavern, the camera dramatically zooms right in on her face. As always yeah. in the classic coup. And then and then she climbs out of bed in a rush and almost falls over immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she grabs her jacket and she runs out of the, the upstairs of the pub where she's been recovering. But as she opens the door, she hears Yates. And Yates is saying that he's going to go down to the cavern and and Joe looks awfully concerned about this fact. Uh, but uh, weirdly, Joe then closes the door. Uh, and I think she's she's a way to, to sneak out. Yeah, yeah I, was, she... I, I was confused about why she's sneaking out. But I just realized it's because Yates says that the doctors told him to stay put. Which means right. if she goes, if she she goes downstairs, yeah. yeah. So it makes more sense in a second view. And with subtitles on <laughs> I didn't catch your line the first time. It is, it's very quiet audio uh, of Yates talking, so it's easy to miss. Subtitles do help in this situation. But we see Joe climb out of the window, and wouldn't you believe it, someone's been so nice and just left a ladder sitting <laughs> there next to the wall that she can climb down. So convenient. I know, that's exactly what I wrote down in my notes. It's like, who's been using that ladder? <laughs> And of course, we take like I don't know, like twenty seconds to just watch her slowly ca- climb down the ladder. She does very slowly climb down this ladder. She do, she do it in heels, though. So you got to give it to her. You know, she got to take it <laughs> slow. It's, that's some dangerous work. Also, outside the back of this B and B, there are three gas canisters. <laughs> Ginormous yellow gas canisters. I don't know what they're for. Who knows? But but, but they're there. We then we, we, we follow Joe as she sneaks through the very quiet village and uh, then cut back to uh, Yates and Hawthorne uh, where they're basically having the same conversation. We just heard Joe listen in on them where 
uh, Yates is like, I want to go this way. And then Hawthorne and that are like, you can't go that way. The doctor said we have to stay. It's essentially that same conversation. I think they're even using the same words as well. <laughs> like like when, when when Joe was listening, he was like, oh, I'm going to go. But I mean, somebody else is like, oh, but the doctor told us to stay. And now yeah. we get this exact same Exact words. same scene, but we get to see it. Bizarre. I wonder if he just uh, reused the same clip. Maybe. I would have to uh, go back and listen really closely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we then cut back to uh, the soldiers of unit working on their scientific doohickey. Uh, they're moving all sorts of wires about, you know, like science. While the, the doctor gives him some uh, scientific information, he tells him to reverse it, to which Osgood replies, reverse what? <laughs> and uh, uh, and and there there you have it. Uh, uh, Pertry goes. You've got to reverse the polarity. Ding w- ding ding. One of my favorite catchphrases in the entirety of Doctor Who. It's fantastic. It's complete nonsense, but yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, Osgood's like we would we would get along much faster if we knew what we were doing. I mean, the Doctor's like, yes, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, the brigadier comes out and he's like, cool, we're pretty much ready to go. What's taking you so long, Osgood? When do you think you'll be ready? Uh, and he's like, oh, God. And then the doctor so rudely says, oh, about next Christmas, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so rude to, to, to wee young Osgood here. Uh, and then there's a great line from uh, the doctor here where uh, the brigadier reassures Osgood to just follow the doctor's orders because the doctor knows what he's doing. And then he takes a few steps over, as close as he can really get to the doctor with this giant heat barrier between him. And he, he asks the doctor if he knows what he's doing. And the doctor goes, I can't wait to find out. <laughs> a very Doctor line. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, such a very, it's a very, very good Doctor Who line. We then cut to the master, who's talking to some sort of giant turkey uh, from the looks of it. The tights, the tights of his demon does not fit well in the guy. No, they I don't. Can... They don't fit well. For yeah, context, can... we're looking at the giant legs of Azul, of Azal, uh, which have been green screened on front of the frame uh, as the master looks up to him, and they look very silly. Yeah, you can tell there's like little folds near the ankles. Just it does not fit at all. Are you saying your skin doesn't bunch up? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just failing. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's entirely possible. That's part of the Damon physique. We we cannot critique the design of the alien because he's an yeah. alien. Yeah, he's not a person. Maybe his skin just looks like tights. Have you ever considered that? You inconsiderate prick. <laughs> <laughs> Azal demands that the master speak and the master obeys and gives him an introduction of who he is. Uh, and the master basically is begging Azal to give him the power of the daemons to bestow upon him the, you know, almighty power of the devil himself azal also speaks very very slowly he does he does he does take his time to savor every word (laughs) Uh, and this is where the master discovers that the doctor didn't explode like he expected him to have exploded in the last episode if you remember uh, as Azal's saying that the Master's not a human being, and the Master's like, no, of course not, I'm way better than humans, that's why I should have the power. Uh, to which Azal responds, but there's more than one of you on this planet. And the Master's like, yeah, 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 but, you know, he exploded in a big ball of dark black smoke. 
And uh, to which Azal's like, nah, he's he's li- he's living, he's he's alive. And the master's like, oh fuck, shit. Also, I've I've just had this thought, like, why does the master think the doctor is dead? He knows he can regenerate. <laughs> like, an explosion won't kill the doctor. He can just regenerate. Yeah, I suppose if if you were to even like decapitate the doctor, his body would grow a new body. Yeah, you know, it's... like. So, so if you were to blow him up into a billion pieces, they would he would still grow again. So it's really bizarre that the master just thinks, "Oh, the doctor's dead." Doesn't look into it. Yeah, yeah, it is it is weird that he forgot that regeneration was a thing. But uh, Azal says that he wants to talk to the doctor, uh, and that the master basically has to bring him uh, in front of Azal, which the masters. Not really wanting to do. I mean, he does the devil horns again. Yeah, he begs for forgiveness while rocking the fuck out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I think is interesting here is they really tease out what Zal looks like. Yeah. You know, when we first see him, uh, it's like these, these giant pair of legs. And then in this shot here, it's like this really high over the shoulder off of Zal where we can kind of see the outlines of his face, but not really. And I... I, I they're saving the reveal of Azal for later in the episode, if I remember correctly. Yeah, either this uh, or next episode, yeah. And it, it doesn't live up to the uh, build-up ice thing. No, definitely not. It's a bit <laughs> iffy, but we'll get there. Uh, Azal basically says that he, he'll think about giving the powers to the Master, but now he's going to go fuck off for a while, and he's only going to come back one more time, so everyone better be on their best fucking behavior. <laughs> Well, I, uh, <laughs> what I really like about this scene is, uh, you know, even as slowly as Azal's talking and how kind of it drags out the scene to be, like, stay a little bit more than it's welcome, uh, the master's performance in this is fantastic. Like, he's constantly looking really scared as he's looking up to Azal the whole time. He's, he's also interrupted quite a bit, I reckon. So it, it's a really good power dynamic. Yeah, it's a flip on the usual power dynamic as well, where it's usually, you know, the master's the one in control and demanding over people. I, I, I just wish the guy playing Azal wouldn't ham it up quite as big. It is. It's it's pretty loud in performance, isn't it? Uh, and he also, this is also where he says that he is the last of the, and he says demons, <laughs> which which is wrong because we know it's pronounced demons because they're from the planet Deimos as the doctor said but now he's saying demons and it's it's frustrating as fuck but <laughs> it, it happens quite a bit and not just doctor who but any type of sci-fi All, everyone pronounces alien names completely differently from one another yeah there's a really famous example and i just i can't remember it right now at the top of my head ah oh, god i can't remember but there, it's like yeah everyone will mispronounce a certain alien name in like slight differences where most of the time you don't pick up on it but if you are listening out for it it can become incredibly annoying yeah <laughs> finally the master uh rocks on out as he leaves the room and uh we we get that same glowing effect that we had in the last episode as azal uh starts to shrink down again and and vanish uh as he will only appear once more when the time is right and he will make his decision uh, we then have another earthquake scene, 
about uh, five minutes after the first earthquake scene that we saw at the start of the episode as it was repeating the cliffhanger. So that's two earthquake scenes in one episode, which is great. But we see all the... It's the same, essentially the same stuff we saw last time of the same cast and characters being like, oh, the ground's shaking. Uh, the, f- the third person to react to the quake is uh, Mike. And he just kind of flops around in the ground like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he's like, ah! <laughs> as he's trying to stand up but he just can't stand up uh, but we then cut back to the doctor and uh, the brigadier and these like this whole episode the doctor and the brigadier saved it for me like certainly they, yes. they, they are the stars of this episode they're so their scenes are fantastic um so apparently there was a point where it took ages to film these scenes because there was some continuity problem at some point uh, John Pertwee got really mad having to stick around to wait for the film to be complete. So he just said, like, ah, oh, fuck this, and just drove off on his bike. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that must I, have been a real real bad day on set for that to happen. <laughs> I, I presume um, it was uh, Katie Manning on the commentary. She's like, never piss off John Pertwee and give him a bike. <laughs> Uh, but the doctor says that he's going to have to get going because the the next time that this like earthquake stuff happens could be the last, which he's correct in assuming, because it will be the last time that Azal shows his face. And he uh, he he asks if Osgood will be good at working the scientific doohickey, to which Osgood's like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> uh, and then the the doctor says that he'll explain his scientific doohickey one more time which filled me with dread of going oh god we're gonna have to listen to more nonsense but (laughs) thankfully we we cut away back to the master's dungeon we're really only in like three locations now for pretty much the rest of this episode uh yeah which is a big contrast compared to resurrection of the daleks where we were in like what five or six it was yeah i think the cast was spread out all over the goddamn place they were really only in two locations, but like different locations in within these locations, it was not great. Yeah, but we do a really weird transition here, where we uh, inside the master's dungeon slowly pan in to uh, the 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 death square from before that summons Azal, and then we just cut to um, uh, uh, Yates as he he lies on the uh, the bar floor. Not entirely sure what the purpose of showing the Death Square again is. I guess to be like, ooh, Azal's gone. Yeah, I presume it's a, a point of view shot of Azal shrinking. Um, it doesn't quite work as well, but it's certainly like going closer to it. So I presume it's just a shrinking shot. They, they do a fair amount of uh, POV shots in 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 this in this story. That's like our third or fourth time the camera's potentially been in first person. And they've not done the best job of demonstrating that. I presume the camera is tinted red to show this, but to be fair, the camera's been tinted red quite a lot during this episode, during the earthquake scene, so again, not demonstrated the best. Yeah. Yates finally figures out how to stand up, uh, and and he goes looking for Joe, uh, who he presumes is still sleeping soundly in bed. And he's quite shocked to discover that she's jumped out the goddamn window. <laughs> and and he, he, under his breath, goes, Little idiot! Full of so much anger! Uh, <laughs> cursing <laughs> Joe as he says it. I think there's a, something between Joe and Mike. I'm not quite sure because it's never really brought up. 
But I think there's some kind of romance going on. I'm not quite sure. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. I I I didn't pick up on any hints of that in, in these in these five episodes, but you know, this is my first my first exposure to, oh, yeah, to it's, them. It's something that's never really brought up, but it's just little moments like the little idiot scene is something to imply that she he's really concerned about her in more than just a friendship I don't know. It's <laughs> You 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 write all the fan fiction you want, Scott. <laughs> uh, 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 Yates basically catches up Hawthorne and uh, the other guy whose name's Benton. Uh, yes. Uh, he he basically catches those two back up on everything that's happened. He he thinks Joe's gone off to the cavern. He's gonna go get her and to tell the doctor that when he comes back. And weirdly, he calls the doctor Doc, which is something I'm only really used to uh, Graham saying. I think he called him Doc earlier. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not a nickname many people give the Doctor, and it's 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 kind of weird that they do. I think Graham pulls it off better than Yates. My favorite uh, nickname for the Doctor is when Ace calls him Professor in the Seventh Doctor era. Professor, but that's yes. a whole different name. That's not a nickname. <laughs> but but that's she's a whole like a... different profession. <laughs> she's being mm. presented as a cool teenager, a cool hip teenager. Yo, what up, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, but a little bit better than that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Hawthorne and Benton decide, fuck it, let's start drinking. Uh, <laughs> as uh, Hawthorne hands him a drink that we never really see, but I'm going to guess it's like a whiskey. Uh, yeah, uh, Benton's just been wanting to drink this entire story, let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, and the master's now talking to the barkeep, who we know is a spy uh, working for the master, and he's uh, telling him to get the doctor out of the way or something. I assume basically kill the doctor. Yeah. Or, or uh, And he's saying that uh, he was foolish for trying to talk to Azal alone, even though it went pretty well, uh, <laughs> and that he's going to use the whole coven next time. So it's basically setting the scene for uh, the next time Azal shows up. There's going to be, you know, the entire cult in the area. We then cut to Yates, uh, who's walking in our favorite location off this one pathway in the graveyard, uh, <laughs> which they've they've been to quite a bit. Uh, and he starts to f- to hide behind a gravestone as he as we see the bartender running out and climbing into a car. And then then Yates runs into into the into the 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 master's deep dark spooky dungeon. So really, there wasn't much tension in the scene but i guess it put two and two together i would have expected yates to be more surprised to see the uh barkeep coming out of the church the tension in the scene certainly comes when joe faints for no reason <laughs> yeah why does she uh, faint uh i i i wish i could tell you uh <laughs> last time we saw joe was in the earthquake where she's holding on to a bunch of vines uh and now we've just cut back to joe and she collapses onto some grass so here's here's the timeline of Joe in the like last ten minutes of his story. <laughs> she falls out of Bessie, falls unconscious, she wakes up, climbs out the window, falls unconscious again. <laughs> She's a sleepy girl. <laughs> Relatable. Very 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 sleepy. We then cut back to the doctor who's drawn some sort of scientific doohickey on the windscreen of his uh motorcycle, which I think is pretty great. I wonder what the drawing's actually off. I wonder what they're representing here. Uh, or if it even is something. It's just a bunch of squiggles and arrows to me. 
Well, it, it looks like a circuit board, like in physics, that you would see if you were discussing the flow of electrons and electricity and stuff. Yeah, uh, so I, 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 I couldn't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> so so I, I'm curious as to if they actually pulled a real example from something, because some of it looks genuinely legitimate, or if they were just, like, uh, pulling from, like, Nat 5 physics, what they remember, and, like, uh, this looks like this, uh, it goes over there. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel somewhat realistic to this universe, so... It's it's not like gibberish. Oh, it is gibberish, but not in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean. <laughs> and the doctor describes it as being simple as Einstein's theory of relativity, which is a famously incredibly simple theory. You know, <laughs> uh, everyone gets taught that, and I think like 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 when they're like four years old. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's that fucking simple. Uh, and uh, the brigadier's like, ah, it's okay, we'll figure it out, doctor. You can you can go. And the doctor's like, awesome, don't have to tell me twice. And he zips off on his motorbike. Slight I, I... S- slight side note here, uh, unrelated to Doctor Who, but related to Einstein. Uh, I saw a great TikTok, because I'm hip and relevant like that, uh, of uh, someone being like, how amazing is it that Einstein was called Einstein? Because that's the name that we give to smart people. <laughs> that was a great fucking joke. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard people like generally say stuff like that in the past. So, <laughs> but also I do love this little bit where uh, Brigadier is watching a doctor go, and he looks so confident. And when a doctor gets further, he's like, "Oh fuck, how are we gonna do this?" <laughs> Yeah, he has the great line of, uh, you know what, Sergeant, sometimes I wish I worked in a bank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we then cut back to Joe, who's decided she wants to wake up again. Uh, and then she she wakes up and she becomes very scared of the vines uh, she was holding on to and runs back in the opposite direction from when she came. So she's no longer going towards the place she wanted to head to. She's now heading essentially back towards the pub. It's very strange. I guess it's because there's a moment of like, oh shit, there's like demons in this place, I, I need to get out of here. But when she turns around and she's like, I've got to do this, which is a nice character moment, but it's not communicated the best, I don't think. No, I think, I think, I think their issue they had is they made it too big. I think it would be a much more sophisticated character moment if you saw like hesitation and not a lot of movement from joe herself as she gets up and it's like uh she's trying to find the will to take that step forward towards the uh the the cavern instead she fucking sprints away from it turns around and then comes back within five seconds and so you don't get to feel the emotion that she's going through uh to be fair it is 1971 so i think they were a bit less confident that their audience would know what her arc is in this episode yeah but you know i'm just saying this is how they could do it better definitely yes but (laughs) again this is like 50 years on so (laughs) yeah a little bit of foresight we then hold on a very very long wide shot of joe as she runs into the cavern we're on this shot for such a long time as she she runs down the path and then we finally follow her into the church there's a lot of, um, the first half of this episode is a lot of people sneaking around. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot a lot of movement without any dialogue. 
uh, which is interesting considering the last episode was no movement with lots of dialogue. <laughs> and and we're de- de- definitely seeing just people reacting to new places while we've seen them as an audience, but we're reacting to it for the first time. It's doesn't exactly work the best. Yeah, it can get a bit uh, repetitive. But to be fair, I think uh, John Pertwee said that this episode contained like way too much dialogue to... Well, the story contained too much dialogue to really learn in time. So I guess we just had these silent scenes to just give the cast a break, add tension to potentially new viewers who may have missed last week's episode, and yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure... You know, it's everybody. Everybody loves it when they don't have dialogue. I I know firsthand. Uh, you know, because I do a lot of filming, I do a lot of acting and stuff, and I do a lot of writing. Writing more so than anything. It's very easy to write out like three pages of dialogue and go, ha ha ha, that's a lovely conversation I just wrote. Uh, and then when you're acting and you're like, holy fuck, I have so many le- lines I have to learn here. This is such a long scene. Why do I need to say all this? We can cut all this down. <laughs> like, Especially in Doctor Who where like, I would say like 70% of it is gibberish. Yeah, yeah. Speaking gibberish is even harder. Uh, like William but, you know, Hart- it's, it's a lot of fun. William Hartnell famously had difficulty remembering his lines like 10 years before well not five years before this like yeah he, he his doctor's great to watch though because uh i think for the most part sometimes he pulls off forgetting his lines pretty well because he gave his doctor this sort of like manic energy where he, yeah <laughs> you, ne- you never know how lucid he really is when he's talking and they gave him a great uh, character trait of always forgetting Ian's last name. <laughs> uh, but Joe makes her way into the Master's dark and dangerous dank dungeon. And she she sees it for the... I think this is the first time Joe's been in the dungeon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she's it was Paul Thorne that was in here last time. Yeah, she's seen it on TV at least. Mm-hmm. And then she she screams as she looks at the statue of the gargoyle. There's nothing more scary than a static piece of stone. And then she, she uh, 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 Yates grabs her by the mouth and turns her. He grabs her in such a hard-looking way. You know, instead of like grabbing her on the shoulders, which you know when he's trying to stop her screaming, but he doesn't quite cover her mouth. Instead, he like grabs her by the cheeks. And is like pursing her lips together, so she's like this, and her yeah. cheeks are. <laughs> yeah, when when he start when he comes into frame, it looks like he she's about to be strangled, which I guess is to add tension to the viewers. So that's mm. why his motions are so theatrical, but it doesn't work for the character. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the the um, Yates is talking to uh, Joe and like, why didn't you stay in bed? Well, you know what's going on and. Joe was like, I, I had to figure out, you know, everything that was happening. And and uh, Yates very bitterly goes, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> it's very interesting to see how they treat female characters in this episode. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, even in the 80s, the female characters are very off to the side, just unconscious for most of the episode. Yeah, and, the, and you know, it's like Hawthorne, who for the most part had her shit together. She ended up being a damsel in distress in the last episode where she had to get rescued. Uh, 
from pulled out from that box. Uh, Joe spent most of the time asleep, uh, and now she's getting chastated for daring to uh, go out and try and figure stuff out on her own. Although I will say, I think Doctor Who does a much better job than most shows of the time with oh, yes. female representation so- and having you know women think and do things for themselves. Yeah, Joe at least has a character like in episode one where she's just staring in bewilderment as uh, Bessie is driving on her own. It's like she has a character at least. It's not quite yeah. developed as we're used to these days, but it's still not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's I would say probably off the upper echelon of stuff from the era. Like uh, in regards to female characters, like in this scene, she's scared, but she at least wants to run into the danger rather than run away. Which yeah, is she, she wants to she wants to save the doctor. She wants to figure out what's going on. She knows she can't sit on the sidelines and do nothing. The downside to that is the male characters calling her an idiot for daring to try. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's it's a lot better in. Because in the black and white era, often female companions were like, oh, why don't you just go to this corner and just make, make us some tea? Yeah, <laughs> and that's I, I, the the um, the doctor's granddaughter screaming every episode at everything she ever saw all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was hard to watch. But still, even in the first few episodes, we had Barbara, who was... What was she, a maths teacher? Yeah, yeah or a science yeah. I can't yeah. remember which she one was She was a maths science. teacher, and I think Ian was science. Yeah, I for- yeah, I keep on getting muddled up for some reason. I think that's how it goes, you know, because science is for men and maths is for women, uh, as as it is, as it will always be, according to uh, <laughs> the old the olden times people. Uh, Yates then uh, throws a book onto the master's uh, evil death square, and we see all, in a pretty cool looking effect, all the pages of the book boom, burst and fly out uh, from the book. Which is, you know, it's sad seeing a book get destroyed like that. But I'm sure the pages were blank in real life. Interestingly enough, uh, this is Katie Manning's original edition scene. Uh, Barry Letts wrote it just as like a little fun script he wanted to write. And then he, 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 he re-watched the screen, uh, he re-watched the scene and he was like, you know what, this could make a good story. I mean, he just wrote the entire story around this scene. Huh. That's a very interesting piece of trivia right there. Also, a weird scene to do an audition for, because she's not really doing much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She's mainly scared and listening to what the the uh, uh, Yates has to say and following his d- directions, but maybe the, maybe the original scene was slightly different than what this was because this would have been changed to fit the script somewhat. Yeah, that's potentially it, but yeah, it's still interesting. Uh, we then we then cut to the ma- uh, the doctor riding a motorcycle as some fucking cool ass sounding synthwave music kicks <laughs> I, in. Yes, I wrote down. I just absolutely love this music. <laughs> it's great. It is. It's very good. Uh, one thing that I think's interesting about this scene that I don't think would fly now uh, is the doctor's riding his motorbike without a helmet. That's a good point. And earlier on, when when Joe's in the car and she falls no out seat because belt. She's... no seatbelt, yeah, yeah, and there wasn't as much uh, seatbelt safety concern in the seventies. Like, 
So yeah, it's very interesting yeah. to watch this book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, we find someone is shooting guns uh, towards the... Shooting guns? No, they're using a gun to fire bullets. That's how guns work. Uh, they're shooting at the doctor uh, from afar. Uh, and we, we can as- safely assume it's probably the barkeep. Since yeah, he was so. given, given orders. Also, examining his jacket... It looks awfully similar like the jacket of the man who cut the phone cables. Oh, damn, I forgot about that, yeah. So I think that's that mystery solved as well. Uh, and the phone call was made in the bar, so he probably would have had access to it. Mm-hmm. Damn. Look at that, look at that. Putting, putting, <laughs> putting pieces together. Regular old Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Uh, the uh, doctor takes a side street and ends up on a field as he's uh, dodging the the gunfire, but uh, it's it's not good enough as the gun shoots. Uh, I'm guessing it shot the bike uh, rather than the doctor himself. Yeah, I presume a tire got flat yeah. and, and then he trips the doctor over. Goes, it. Yeah, yeah. The doctor goes flying off his bike and a pretty decent effect. I feel sorry for the stunt guy that had to do it because I'm sure it didn't tickle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then the the doctor's running away from the gunfire interestingly he's choosing to run in a straight line uh, yeah, <laughs> he, yeah not, you usually have to zigzag don't you yeah you got got to throw in some zigzags throw them off where they're aiming but thankfully enough the uh the barkeep's aim is so bad he misses anyway so nothing I'm to worry bar- about i'm in the barkeep just decides to run after him yeah yeah and he doesn't he doesn't use his gun again <laughs> Uh, uh, we cut back to uh, Joe and Yates who are now hiding from the cult inside the dark dungeon as they are beginning to prepare for their ceremony. And we have to get a line where Joe says, oh, I'm scared. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we know this. Why is this a line? (laughs) Yeah. uh, And uh, Yates is like, oh, it's okay. The doctor will be here soon. And, And Benton knows we're here. The useless guy that Benton is. He's probably blazing drunk. But uh, <laughs> it's one of those tropes where they whisper when they're scared or whatever. But the people in the cavern could easily hear the whispers. Yeah, they're they're way within earshot. And yeah. you know, a a thing that we learned earlier from the news broadcast in episode one is the cavern's echoey as fuck. So yeah. <laughs> those whispers are probably going to be a little bit louder than they're I... anticipating them being. What difference would the scene have if it was just silent? Like, you didn't need any lines there. Yeah, you just saw... You you just see them be like, oh, fuck, we better hide a bit. Like... Yeah. We then, we then see Benton trying to, to get a hold of Greyhound, who I think is... Is that Yates? I believe so, yes. Yeah, he's trying to get hold of Yates. As uh, uh, Hawthorne has made some tea. You know how we were talking about female representation <laughs> yeah. in Doctor Who? <laughs> you always have to have a woman making tea. That's true to life as well. <laughs> JK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says she's made a nice cuppa and that uh, she hopes that he likes the china, even though she doesn't work in this pub. So what the <laughs> fuck does it matter what the, the mugs look like? But, you know, it's the 70s, isn't it? I, I do love how desperate Benton is to get out of a situation for, like, uh, Hawthorne's like, uh, milk or lemon? And then, and then he immediately picks up his uh, walkie-talkie and says, Greyhound, Greyhound, get me out of here. <laughs> uh, 
there's there's nothing Benton fears more than being alone with a woman and having to drink tea. It, <laughs> it, it's his greatest fear. Also, the idea of putting milk or lemon in your tea is a, a combo and an option I've never faced in my entire life. <laughs> Neither have I. And, and why can't you have both? Why couldn't you have milk and lemon? Say you like a milky, like milk in your tea, why not also have a zest, a zest of lemon uh, <laughs> as well and be a little bit crazy, you know? Especially if it's black tea. Who puts lemon juice in black tea? What is weird-ass teas <laughs> Hawthorne making? <laughs> <laughs> I'd still try it. We then cut uh, back to the unit soldiers as they're doing science and hammering stuff into the 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 uh, the big dome, the heat dome. I I love a bit where Osgood's trying to explain. He's finally got the hang of it, and he's trying to explain it to a brigadier, and the brigadier is just like, "Oh, shut up!" And his face looks deflated. He's like really pr- proud of the fact he's figured something out, and he's just being deflated. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's not the most supportive boss, the old brigadier, is he? Uh, but Osgood's like, oh, you know, it, it won't be a minute until things up and running. I've got the hang of it. And then, <laughs> oh, wouldn't you know, a puff of smoke and his face is covered in black soot. And he's like, oh, shit, I guess I haven't got the hang of it. It's a very, God, what's the name of that 1930s silent series where the kid would always look at the exhaust port of a car he would get black suit in his face. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, what sort of videos are you watching of kids inhaling uh, exhaust fumes? It's called Argan. Nope, never heard of it. Just kids <laughs> trying to get high off exhaust fumes. Hold on, I need to show you a clip. It's, it was referenced in The Simpsons. Everything's been referenced in The Simpsons. I've probably been referenced in The Simpsons by now. <laughs> Little Rascals. Little rascals. Sorry for a detour, but... <laughs> it's fine, I'll stick this clip in. <laughs> wow! You mean you were one of the original little rascals? Yeah. Which one were you? The ugly one? Were you the ugly one? No, I was the tough kid, smelly. My stick was looking into an exhaust pipe and getting a face full of soot. <laughs> Nobody could do that better than me. Of course, it was kind of hard to think of reasons for me to look in that exhaust pipe every time, but, you know, we had good writers. William Faulkner could write an exhaust pipe gag that would really make you think. If you were such a big shot, why aren't you still making movies? Mo? Mo? Oh, no, my favorite Aggie! Original Alfalfa! Yeah, luckily Alfalfa was an orphan owned by the studio. Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, God, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, uh, a slight, slight, another slight detour here. Moe's had quite the interesting life, hasn't he? He really has. So he started off as a, as a children's TV star. Uh, he grew mm-hmm. up to become a boxer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then at some point he gets plastic surgery and he becomes famous again. He gets like his also, own sitcom. Also, this episode is set in the nineties. The shorts he's talking about is set is from the nineteen thirties, which suggests he's in his seventies. <laughs> <laughs> 
brilliant. That's brilliant. And also, in the newest episode of Simpsons, Homer was a teenager in the 90s. So, oh, uh, <laughs> it leads even more questions into how does time work in The Simpsons? And the, qu- the answer is it doesn't. We need Doctor Who to figure that one out. <laughs> Tying it back in. Yeah, look at that. Uh, but we, <laughs> we continue with Mo Osgood as he's got his face covered in, in soot. And he says it's going to take about half an hour until he's ready to go, at least now, since of this massive setback. I love how disappointed the Brigadier looks. He just shakes his head. <laughs> uh, we then cut back to the pub. Uh, or actually, no, sorry. This is like the lobby to the church or wherever the master is. I, I still don't know where this location is. Yeah. But the guy drove away from the church, so I guess it's not the church. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the master is. I guess it's the master's house, the vicar's house, perhaps. Perhaps, but it's a very odd looking house. Yeah, they 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 really didn't establish where the scene is. We only ever see the interior of it, which is weird. It could be his house. Yeah, it's and, uh, a massive it, it, set. Yeah, it's a huge set, and it's giving me two vibes at once. One of the vibes it's giving me is it's reminding me of Faulty Towers, the main <laughs> lobby in Faulty Towers. And yeah. it's also, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it on Netflix, uh, Frankenstein's Monsters Frankenstein. Is that the one with uh, David Harbour? Yes. It's, I it's, haven't it's seen ab- it, no. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. It's fucking hilarious. But uh, just the 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 layout and the the movement of the actor as uh, he was moving, and then there's a knocking at the door, and he he opens the door, and you know it's it's clearly a set that they're on as he's opening the door. It's just giving me that type of vibe. It's a different sort of looking house it, it's in Frankenstein's Monsters well. Frankenstein. Yeah, but yeah, I highly recommend Frankenstein's Monsters Frankenstein. It's only like half an hour long. It's it's so funny. But uh, the master opens the door to the. Uh, the barkeep who the barkeep's like I, I i couldn't kill the doctor i i i i i missed all my shots and the <laughs> he, he got away like also the doctor is like a 50 a, an apparent 50 year old man and he's much younger i would say like 10 years younger he couldn't keep up he's a terrible shot as well so <laughs> yeah and he seemingly threw his gun away at some point because he doesn't have it in this scene. I'm guessing he's left it in his car. Uh, and he he only fired, I like, I don't know, six or seven rounds. The gun that he's using looks like it would hold at least 12. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> one thing that I really liked here is the um, the barkeep is trying to like apologize to the master and be like, oh, you know, I missed because of XXX reasons, etc. And the master's like, shut up. Excuses waste time. Just tell me where the doctor is. You know, he, he he's like, okay, it failed. Whatever. Let's just move on and get and try and solve the problem still. There's no point in sitting here and wallowing in self-pity. Yeah, it's a great character moment for sure. We then cut to uh, uh, the brigadier who's on the radio to Benton, who's asking to speak with the doctor. To which Benton is like, but I thought the doctor was with you. And then Brigadier's like, but I thought he was with you. Uh, <laughs> and that the, goes on for the rest of the episode. No, it doesn't. The, the lack of communication within unit is astounding. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's really not a well-oiled machine, is it? And apparently the doctor doesn't have a walkie-talkie either. Even though it, it, he's like the most important person in the unit to contact. 
uh, and they're like, uh, what the fuck's happened to the doctor? And the, the brigadier's like, maybe he crashed his bike. You know, maybe maybe he's dead. Maybe he's really badly injured. And Benton's like, "Well, do you want me to look for him?" And the brigadier's like, "Nah, give him tw- give him a, give him a few minutes. Uh, see what yeah, happens." <laughs> like, yeah, just spend more time of the episode just waiting out here. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, "We've still got ten minutes left on the episode, and we only have five minutes of story, so we're gonna have to sit and wait for a bit." <laughs> <laughs> I love it when um, the brigadier turns around to speak to all his good to confirm about the feedback phasing because he doesn't know the words for it. It's a nice little character yeah. moment. Yeah, it's it's a nice little bit of uh, back and forth with the characters where he's like, hey, what, what is it called? It, it feels very natural. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. But we then cut back to uh, Hawthorne, who really doesn't have much else to do anymore in yeah, the story. I'm surprised yeah. she's still in it. Like, her whole point has been defeated at this point. Like, we know it's not the supernatural, so nothing she can do works for the plot. Yeah, and even, like, I don't remember her trying to cast a spell to get rid of uh, Azal at any point. Yeah. Uh, or anything. She, she she really is just sits around and makes tea and offers you milk or lemon. Like, like there could have been an interesting moment later on where she uses her supernatural experiences to, like, do something to Azal, and when the Doctor's like, that actually worked? Add a bit of, like, (laughs) irony to it, like, maybe it's supernatural, maybe... maybe... Yeah, add a little bit of of making you question of, maybe magic is real, like, yeah. But instead she does nothing. Well, she makes uh... tea, that's very important. Yeah, it is. And uh, Benton's like, well... That's it. We've got our orders, and uh, uh, she's like, "Yep, we've just got to wait a bit longer." Oh my god, this scene! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so um, uh, this is blocking so weird in this scene. So, <laughs> Benton walks over to Hawthorne and is like, "We have to wait." And Hawthorne's like, "Oh well, we'll just have to sit around and, and make the best of it." And then they recap that everyone's missing again. Uh, and uh, Benton's like, you know what? I'm going to go out and look for them. And Hawthorne's like, no, you stay where you are. I'll look for them. And then Benton places his hand on her shoulder, shoves her into her seat, and says, <laughs> do as you're told, woman. Uh, <laughs> and then he's so, so we're like, oh, Benton's going to go out and look for them. But instead, Benton goes back over to the fucking window <laughs> and starts looking out the window at strangers walking by. And then he begins, he's like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go back to the cavern now. And we start hearing folk music playing, according to the captions. And uh, Hawthorne makes her way to the window. And somehow, Benton never saw this when he was just looking out the window a moment ago. Uh, <laughs> they set this whole thing up within the brief two and a half second period. To be fair, we're coming round the corner, I think, from the bar. So, like, an- mm. round the corner from another building across the street. Yeah, but, like, there's, like, a whole crowd of people. I guess. This, <laughs> this big pole set up and they're all sitting there watching it uh but yeah we see we see the village looking out and there's this it's like the may day celebration that i think they still do in some villages around the place yeah but even in this village we still reenact this scene whenever there's an episode reunion <laughs> my is is was i was was assuming when i watched this and I, i'm curious if my assumption is right is the big crowd of people genuine people from the village? Yes, very extra. It's like the little girl getting pulled into the house is just a genuine little girl from the village. Yeah, that's cute. 
yeah, it's really cool. We must have been just sitting around the TV and being like, oh, there we are. Yeah, and you know, like like genuinely being able to be part of a TV production like that. It must have been, you know, the uh, floor manager for that, the assist, the second director who deals with like extras and stuff. I must have had like the most stressful job of like talking to everyone in the village like okay you can stand and watch the parade but please fucking don't do anything we can only do this once so don't fucking do anything like it would be so easy for someone to fuck this up for them but i I just love the fact that they get to watch this episode for like five weeks in a row just to see their houses and see them appear on screen it's really nice and it's something you don't you, you don't get a lot these days a doctor who would never do this again because of spoilers yep and also you know there's a risk of doxing now you know where you're like oh i recognize that person that's where their house is let's swat them yeah uh, <laughs> uh, but we see the parade and the parade's very interesting you know we have a bunch of of men skipping around the place and the guy playing the uh what's that instrument called the accordion that's the word, the accordion. Uh, and getting led at the front by... Is it the barkeep? I never figured out who it was. I think it is, yes. Yeah, he's in this weird newspaper cutting jacket and hat. And it's uh, very distractingly made of newspaper as he, <laughs> as he's wearing it. I mean, like, all the neighbors are like, I want my daughter to be inside. I need to close this window. Like, they don't want what's going on to happen. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? Because you have, like, a huge crowd of people watching it eager, like, ooh, yay, the parade. But then we're cutting to people pulling their child indoors, closing and locking the windows, like, this is horrible, fucking get this noise out of here. So <laughs> is it something the village likes or is it something the village don't like? I, I, I don't understand what they're trying to uh, communicate. I presume it's just mixed reaction, like any other kind of parade kind of thing. Like, I would definitely be the one just shutting my windows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we 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 then see some of the cast of the town who we've spoken to before, like the man who's uh, 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 making things too expensive in his shop. Uh, he's skipping around with his, I assume, wife slash maybe daughter. It's hard to tell. <laughs> they look between 17 and 25. So <laughs> they all pick up these like weird uh, ribbon things. I'm sure people will have seen the video of May Day celebrations. It's like this big pole in the center of grass with these multicolored uh tassels uh, uh, protruding out of it and people run around in circles tying the knots together yeah uh, have you ever been to a mayday parade absolutely not have no you? it looks ter- no it looks boring as fuck doesn't it <laughs> even in, even in this episode it's just like what the hell is going on yeah it's just people like kind of dancing uh and I, running around I, in a circle you know there's not even like a burger van nearby where you can get some food or <laughs> You know, where's it, where's the traveling circus so you can get on the roller coasters? And then there's a point where a man just smacks bottoms of other people with like a ball and a stick. Yeah, yeah, that bit was weird. <laughs> uh, they're called Morris dancers. If you're uh, the Mayday, the Mayday dancers is what you're. If you're wondering, uh, Benton in that spot, the doctor uh, who's 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 found his way. Uh, near the parade uh, they they must have been really happy with this parade because we're spending a lot of time just watching the dancers dance i, I do kind of love the misdirect because we think it's just a 
genuine parade. Nothing's going to go wrong here. And when the doctor wanders in, it's like, oh, how cute. He's he's getting trapped in the parade when he has something important to do. Ha ha ha, he can't move. And then we get into... Uh, yeah, a, a man starts smacking his bottom. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, the doctor gets trapped, surrounded by these men and these wooden poles that they've been using to dance and bang with. Uh, and they essentially tangle up the doctor... And then we, we suddenly see that the man, uh, the barkeep who's in the newspaper cutting cloak and hat, has a gun. Uh, a small enough gun that nobody in the village reacts or cares. And, and they watch the doctor get tied up and abused like this. And nobody in the village reacts or cares. So I'm assuming they're like, oh, they've changed up the dance a bit this month. <laughs> this it's, year, even. It's definitely because we're all hypnotized. Yeah. But, but again, it's such an interesting misdirect. But it's just silly at the same time. It's very silly. I thought I thought it was uh, a, a pretty 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 silly. I I laughed really hard during a scene for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we see Benton and Hawthorne just watching. Like, oh, they've stopped, and like, what's happening? I guess we'll have to keep watching, as we see the Doctor getting led with the two pieces of wood between his throat. Which I, I thought was, you know, I'm sure if you applied pressure, it would be somewhat effective. It doesn't look the most effective, though. It's not the most visually appealing way of transporting someone that you've got trapped. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they tie him, they, they pin him against the pole and tie his hands together. Uh, and this is, Benton's like, well, fuck, I can't just stand here and watch the doctor get tied up like this. I've got to go and help. Um, which Hawthorne protests a little bit, but Benton's not having any of it. He opens the doors and then bang! Holy shit, some of the Mayday dancers are here at the pub! Uh, and they start attacking uh, Benton. They slap the gun out of his hand and punch him in the face and then start very lightly tapping him with the stick. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and the punches don't look like they land at all. No. Using weaponry like that, you know, unless it's like a martial arts film where they're trained and can do it fast and hard and it looks impressive as fuck, uh, is really something that hasn't been done well until modern technology came in. And yeah. we, had the abil- we had the ability to speed up the footage slightly to make mm-hmm. the, the impact look like it has more impact. Uh so it does look very silly, uh, but that yeah, that's if you're if anybody listening is wondering how you could make it look better, is just speed it up a little bit. So you in if you were filming it nowadays, you would have someone swing it at the same speed as the man you're watching swing it, but uh, you would make like a cut uh, and then you would speed it up by like 25, 30 percent, so it goes Wah! and add in a special a sound effect, and there you've got it. You've got good looking impact. Just that tiny little difference can make such a fucking whirlwind filmmaking (laughs) uh but uh benton throws the man over his shoulder and he knocks the table over then he quickly goes to grab the gun but oh no the the man comes in knocks his hand again then kicks him in the ribs the whole fight's very silly like all the fights in this episode like uh benton moves his hand away so he doesn't get hit by the stick but it's a stick it wouldn't hurt that much compared to the gun if the guy grabbed it yeah, you could take it, like, get the gun and just take the damage. Uh, but uh, the fight uh, concludes as the man's about to knock Benton out. Uh, uh, Hawthorne wallops in the, on the back of the head with uh, her handbag. 
and and we we find out that she has giant fucking crystal ball just <laughs> <laughs> in her handbag. This is the second classic Doctor Who story we've done with the crystal ball involved. Oh yeah, you're right. The, uh, yeah. The, the Daleks use a crystal ball to to ineffectively spy on everyone in Resurrection of the Daleks. Lots of weird patterns we're noticing. Yeah. Just from two episodes as well. Yeah. Uh, Hawthorne says that Benton shouldn't go in gun blazing because they're nice people and that uh, they should try and reason with them and he needs to listen to her plan and then we cut away before hearing what her plan is so it's a mystery to us. And we cut back to the Doctor. Uh, we see the Doctor who very sillyly a very in a very silly manner is getting tied up by all the dancers as they're tying the ribbons around him and he's like the master's going to turn you all into slaves i'm the only one who can save you it's me the doctor i'm the hero of the story the show's called doctor who uh, <laughs> <laughs> they then accuse the doctor of being a witch uh and uh a, a bit of of staging i actually kind of liked is you know the whole routine of getting the doctor tied up and then the actual watching him get tied up it looks very very silly but then when they finish tying him up uh, and they're calling him a witch, ah-ha-ha, uh, ha. it now looks like he's on a pyre ready to be burned. I thought that was very well yeah. done. And also not the last time he's, he, will, he will be convicted of witchcraft, the Witchfinders, the Jodie Whittaker episode. Ah, I remember a grand total of nothing in that episode. <laughs> I, I just I, remember Alan coming, hamming it, yeah. hamming it up. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Alan Cumming being in it, and I remember it being bad. I remember it being okay. I don't. I honestly don't remember a single piece of plot <laughs> that happened in that episode. They decide they're going to burn the Doctor for being a witch, uh, you know, as it goes. And then very uh, cinematically, as everyone's chanting burn him, we cut to fire as the Master's preparing the rituals for uh, summoning Azal. It's a very nice piece of uh, cinematic symmetry. Yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, scenes where it's just like perfect editing and direction. Yep. Uh, the Master has his coven as they're summoning uh, the uh, Azal, and honestly, it's about 30 seconds of listening to the Master say made-up words. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, how much time has past it seems like a lot of time has passed but it, joe and it mike also are it, it it seems like no time has passed as well yeah because joe and mike are still standing in the same place if t a lot of time has passed they could have found a better hiding spot yeah but but also like like the episode starts with uh azal being there and then he fucks off and the doctor makes his way back and then by the time the Doctor comes back, there's a whole parade set up and he gets tied up and stuff like that. But also, it feels like it's been like 15 minutes since Azal fucked off. Yeah. Uh, the... It feels like it might have been like two or three hours have passed at least, but... Maybe. It's not it... communicated super well. But like, yeah, but like, Mike and Joe have been just standing there. I presume at one point the church was emptied out. There was only one guy in there earlier. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I have no idea. It's it's sometimes it's really hard to communicate time, uh, and passage of time in media when there's not a lot of interesting stuff happening, and you just kind of want to get the plot done. Yeah, and especially it's, where you, where you have to intercut between like different characters as well. Yeah, there was a very there was a very interesting tweet I saw like several years ago at this point, uh, and now personally, 
I love Revenge of the Sith. I think it's the best Star Wars movie. I fucking adore every moment of that film. You are but mistaken, was, but it's okay. Uh, there was this great tweet, and it was asking, uh, does Revenge of the Sith take place over a few weeks or a few months or a few hours? Yeah. <laughs> you, there, it's, it's so hard to tell. Uh, personally, I think it takes place over a few months because we see Padme's pregnancy grow, uh, very very quickly uh, she goes from announcing she's pregnant to being incredibly pregnant and then giving birth but you know the scenes between that happening are so far and short and not very uh, like far and few between uh, those scenes that it doesn't communicate the passage of time super well because there's so much happening and so much plot being thrown in your face you're like these events have to have happened back to back they're <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's incredibly hard to communicate that in a constructive clear way uh we then see the gargoyle come back to life with his glowing red eyes and probably and still the best looking gargoyle effect in the whole story uh the the glowing red eyes looks very good on the gargoyle i personally believe yeah as we we cut back to the doctor as they've they're making a pyre to burn him at uh it's a weird it's a very weird pyre i don't think it's a very effective one and i think it's one the doctor could get out of incredibly easily do you know why yeah why because the straw is only at the front of him <laughs> but he also has a gun pointing towards him so it's i suppose but you know what he could do he could kick the burning straw into the guy that's got the gun and then he wouldn't have to worry about the fire because there's nothing burning behind him. <laughs> but when Matthew, you see, that would have been a self and health and safety risk on set. <laughs> oh, yeah, but the doctor riding without a helmet, totally fine. <laughs> this is the 1970s, my dude. Yeah, they pick and choose what they fucking want, like. <laughs> also, we were mistaken about Hawthorne not having much else to do. She comes into this scene and helps out quite considerably. Uh, yeah, we see Hawthorne uh, running down the street as we see a man lighting a torch, and uh, she 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 tells the people to stop burning the doctor, otherwise they're they're going to 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 bring about bring upon hell essentially. And yeah, it's I think the reason we thought Hawthorne didn't do much is because she doesn't do much for <laughs> an episode and three quarters. But then also again, I just considered. She's telling them not to burn him because he's a great wizard, but also that's why he, they're burning him. No, they're 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 not burning him because he's a wizard. They're burning him because he's a witch. They think mm. he's they said a black witch, but him being a wizard is totally different. <laughs> I guess for some reason. <laughs> See, I know what the thing is. You know how you were saying he's got the hair of your nan. Yeah. They were like he's a woman. He's he's a witch. We've got to burn it. And then he's like, "No, he's a wizard," which means he's a dude. Can't burn a dude. That's <laughs> also she calls him the Great Wizard Quad, which I is I want to hear her say it. I want to hear her say it. Quee Quad. Sorry. Quee Quad. Yep. Uh, uh, but that's Latin for who? Oh, is it really? Yeah. Or I think that's... it's like a combination of like three different words for who. Who who who? Yeah wizard who that's great that's 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 a fun bit of latin even for there's like even for there's like no in universe explanation of why she's calling him wizard who but you know it's fun for yeah. like a little bit of research yeah 
she uh, she's basically arguing with the villagers that under the rule of the ma- of the master, they faced you know horrible times. Their property has been destroyed. They've been miserable. If they were to follow Kui uh, Kui Quad, the doctor, then they'll have a great a great time of it, and everything will be great. And I love Pertwee. He's like looking at her, kind of dumbfounded, but he just kind of like uh huh, nods <laughs> <laughs> like. like, like. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, Hawthorne begs with the Doctor to show a sign of his wizarding power. Uh, you know, show show these people that you really are a wizard. And he's like, well, fucking tell me what to do. And uh, she's like, shattered the, the streetlight. Uh, weirdly, what she calls a lamp. I've never seen anybody refer to a streetlight as a lamp before. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's like, shatter that streetlight way over there. And he's like, oh, okay, okay fuck. Uh, he orders the lamp to shatter, and oh my god, it does. The, the lamp explodes into a thousand million pieces. What could be the explanation for this? Uh, and to, uh, to, to further show his power, he says, look at the, the uh, weathercock, as he <laughs> called it, which is a great name for uh, uh, a lightning rod, I'm pretty sure is what it is, uh, on the, the church tower. Uh, and we see that we see uh, we then see uh, Benton holding a pistol with a silencer. He was the re- reason for the magic all along. And also, it turns out Benton, the best aim in the fucking universe. He <laughs> uh, <laughs> can shoot a tiny uh, cockerel on the top of a church from a pub down on the ground with a pistol. It's De- it's remarkable. definitely definitely in comparison to the guy from earlier. <laughs> yeah. But he he shoots the he shoots the quote unquote weathercock, uh, causing it to spin as the doctor commands, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, he must be a magician." We were just gonna burn him for being a witch. <laughs> like I, I still, you know, I I, I I I I joked before, but I still don't understand the uh, the difference here. Yeah, it's really bizarre. But also, I do like how the doctor is already dressed as a magician. So, yeah. Uh, they then shoot the torch out of um, the barkeep's hand and and uh, untie the doctor from from where he was tied up. And uh, the the barkeep's then like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's see if you can if you can make a bullet stop kill it from killing you, doctor. I could have done this before, but for some reason, I wanted everyone to burn you. Uh, <laughs> Every, and, it... uh... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to continue the scene. So. Um, so it reminds me of uh, George Reeves. Ever, as he played Superman in the nineteen fifties, and yes. he was at he was at a children's party, and one of the kids had a gun, and he was like, "I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna shoot Superman because the bullets can't harm Superman." So it's a very tense situation where a kid is pointing a gun at a very real man, and uh, George Reeves kind of turns around and says, "If you shoot me, uh, the bullet might." Uh, ricochet and hit somebody else in this party which is ah, that's a, a very a very quick thinking way to one stop the kids earth from shattering that superman's not real and to de-escalate the situation i think this scene was like kind of later written into the m night Shyamalan movie unbreakable where they uh bruce willis's son tries to shoot him in the kitchen very similar scene, but yeah, it very much a scene of Doctor Who very much reminds me of that scenario. Yeah, uh, just 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 a side thing here. I assume you've seen Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. 
do you also hate the ending? What was the I ending hate, again? Uh, it, uh, the movie suddenly ends and says he was the bad guy was arrested. Okay, yeah, I don't like that ending. It's very Sopranos. <laughs> I fucking hated the ending. I like the movie's so good right up until that end, where it's just like, and he was arrested by the police. It's, and it's like, what? Fucking what? <laughs> it, it's better than the ending of Glass, where he drowns oh in a God. puddle. <laughs> uh, yeah, I fucking... That mo- Glass was was pretty decent right up until that last moment. I was really enjoying it. You know, it's a lot of long yeah. scenes, really nicely shot of just people talking. And then, yeah, he fucking drowns in a puddle. It's such <laughs> bullshit. Like, it makes sense for his character, but at the same time... They... It's... Uh, yeah, it's... Half of me wants to rewatch Glass and give it a second chance, but yeah, I was so disappointed coming out of the cinema with that film. Fuck me. Uh, but we see Benton aiming his gun, uh, uh, but he 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 can't quite make the shot because there's civilians standing in the way, and the the doctor tells him to uh, to, to to turn around. You know, he's he he he's he's saying, "I'll give you a chance. Just have a look what what's coming up behind you." Which, of course, the barkeep doesn't believe because who the fuck would ever fall for that nonsense? Look behind me. That's the oldest trick in the book, he says. <laughs> and we see... We, I loved this scene so much. Uh, the doctor ca- shouts out uh, for his, quote-unquote, familiar spirit to bring his car towards him. Uh, and we see we see uh, Bessie uh, light up with life and and immediately because we've seen the other episode we know what's going on and i thought it was a fucking amazing callback to earlier in the episode oh yeah uh, just considering um like it's been four weeks since that first scene of uh, the doctor remote control and bessie what a great callback to just four weeks later you get the payoff yeah as he's as he controls bessie with the remote control and very very slowly uh, runs over the barkeep. It reminds me of that scene in Deadpool two, or was it Deadpool one, where he's at like an ice rink, and he's he's chasing a guy on I don't know what it's called. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a joke that they stole from the first um, uh, 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 Austin Powers movie. I think I, I, I was a very similar joke at the end of A Fish Called Wanda. He's like got one of those like cement. Yeah, yeah, one of those things where he flattens cement and he's going very slowly, he's trying to chase the guy. And it, yeah, it goes... and in Austin Powers, he's in the car and he's driving very slowly as the guy is like, "No, stop! You're gonna run me over!" And he's it, like it, miles away. And it, to be fair, it's a very funny joke. Every it time. Is, it's a it's a great joke and it makes me laugh every time I see it and all the different iterations that it's been in. <laughs> like, uh. Uh, but then uh, Hawthorne calls the doctor. He really, he she says that he really is a magician because he could summon the car to drive by itself. And the, the the doctor's like, "Nope, I'm afraid not." Loud enough for the other villagers who thinks he's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he just saying that out loud in front of all the villagers who were about to burn him to death. Yeah, but, uh, he, yeah. We'll just ignore that. <laughs> Uh, but then we see the the barkeep. Oh no, he's he he wasn't killed when he got half run over very slowly by Bessie. Who could have believed it? And he's about to go and shoot the doctor. Uh, 
and uh or rather he's not going to shoot the doctor sorry he's about to run away and benton fucking like runs after him bounces off <laughs> bessie uh, to yeah. spring load a jump to climb onto the guy's back it's 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 way more over the top than it had any reason to be yeah <laughs> Uh, but he he catches he catches the uh, barkeep and he says we've all got a date with the master haven't we and I thought oh that's lovely isn't it they're <laughs> <laughs> gonna have a nice little picnic in this garden square yeah they're just gonna gonna meet up you know have a couple glasses of wine see where it goes you know <laughs> just just let the night lead them <laughs> but uh, on the mention of the master again with the editing and the directing being very solid we then cut to the master when his name's mentioned. And we see him with his cult summoning uh, Azal. It, uh, I, I think it's very inconsistent how long it takes to summon Azal. Definitely, Somet- yes. Sometimes it takes no time at all. Sometimes it takes half an episode. Also, we don't need to see him summon him again when we've already seen him do his process. We understand what the process is. Yeah, we've seen this process multiple, multiple times. But they uh, sacrifice a chicken to summon Azal, and I, I thought that was very sad. I, I was sad to see the chicken uh, be sacrificed. Again, Joe and Mike are still hiding behind the kind yeah, of they're doing, they're thing. Doing, they're doing fuck all, aren't they? They're, they're not even really... They're not super well hidden. They have their faces pressed up against the bars as far as they could be. Uh, and they're really well lit as well. It's like anybody yeah. could turn around and just see them. Yeah. And again, uh, but, presuming it's been at least half an hour they've been there. Perhaps, but uh, Joe is just like me. She was very sad at seeing the chicken about to be executed. And she runs in to stop the master doing it. And it's like, no, it's evil. Can't you see it's evil? Uh, which is perhaps a very silly thing to do. Because uh, they were in like the OG's hiding spot, apparently. Yeah, and also the master has a knife. And he, she runs right towards him. Yeah, she he runs right towards him, and the 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 master's like, "It's too late, Azal's been summoned." There's actually a scene that was censored where the master points the gun at Joe. So, <laughs> oh wow, why was that censored? We've seen loads of guns getting pointed. Yeah, but I guess it's, I don't know, but you know, hmm. the 1970s I, were weird. S- censors are still weird. There's so many like workarounds and things that shouldn't be allowed but are allowed and the things that should be allowed that aren't allowed with censors censorship yeah. in general is pretty fucking stupid but it's like uh, the standards and practices in america on kids shows like at one point there's like a kids show where the kids are about to cook something but you can't have kids operate a microwave by or an oven by itself so you have to be you have to be like oh the, the kids find out that the oven has somehow magically made food and that's fine <laughs> I feel like that's going to encourage kids to stick shit in an oven more. Or or if there's like a, a scene where there's fire, if it's yeah. if it's orange, then that's a big no-no. But if it's blue or uh, green, that's fine. <laughs> it's have all the fire you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a bit silly, but oh well. <laughs> Speaking of silly, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of silly, we see Azal be summoned from his evil square. And it's perhaps the worst-looking effect I've seen in some time. The, uh, yeah, definitely the worst one of this episode, and it's a cliffhanger as well. Yeah, it's the cliffhanger as well. Uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, we see a fully-grown man. 
uh, appear on frame and then he starts to walk towards the camera and as he does he's grows uh, <laughs> taller and taller but it's done in very early green screen very early special effects and it looks fucking atrocious the problem with this scene is also the camera is shaking but he's not shaking yeah he's not shaking at all like he's just... also he's also not lit properly. He's way yeah. too well. You can see every part of his body where we know, looking at the frame, light's only coming from one direction, whereas he's lit from two different directions. Yeah, the best way they could have shot this scene is have a camera, so like go from the ground and then like really high up on like a crane or whatever as a like a point of view shot and the characters looking up, and then. You end the episode of the point of view of the characters looking up at Azal and you see his face for the first time. Yeah. That would have been a lot better. Yeah, but everyone looks up in panic as we see the face of Azal finally, and it's a pretty shit looking mask. Uh, it <laughs> reminds me of. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I haven't, no. Oh, it's a TV show that I've watched like seven times all the way through. Uh, and that's it's got like 13 seasons, but it looks a lot like the mask that Frank wears to go to an orgy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a, it's not the best looking mask I personally think, and also the man's very hairy. He is, yes. <laughs> but uh, on that extreme close up of Azal's face, we then cut to the credits, and that's the cliffhanger for episode four. I've noticed that the even-numbered episodes have really bad cliffhangers. Like, episode episode 2 was a cliffhanger with the gargoyle just sticking its tongue out and making noises. And now we have this (laughs) one. I think, in general, I don't think this is the best Doctor Who story with cliffhangers. I I don't think any of the cliffhangers are super, super great. The cliffhanger last episode, where the Master's carrying in fear in the mm-hmm. corner was probably yeah, the that, best one that, that's that's definitely the best one uh but that's like one out of five yeah that they really <laughs> hit but uh with that that's the end of episode four we will be moving straight in to episode five and with this <laughs> we roll in to the final episode of this five episode story and of this like i don't know six and a half seven hour long <laughs> combined two-parter god fucking damn uh <laughs> with episode five of the demons but before we start i i i, I just 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 we had a little break to <laughs> uh to to use to uh you know to to lift the veil a bit we, we we had a little break between episodes so i could uh make myself a lovely cup of tea yum 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 uh and uh, just coming back into my living room, uh, I got hit with a lovely waft of uh, of uh, of noodles that I had for dinner. It was it was delicious, uh, and my living room now stinks of noodles, which I I realize is a very nice smell to have your living room be. <laughs> Wait, it's my turn. <laughs> That's how conversations work. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, take a picture of the noodles, and I can smell it. That sounds great. <laughs> You don't need a picture. I forgot. What the- you don't need a picture. You have a live feed. It's fine. But yeah, my video of uh, Tom Baker <laughs> talking. 
Yeah, so, 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 so we came up with this bit to, to include this clip that we're talking about, but Scott shat the bed. So. <laughs> I forgot how we did it. Uh, so instead of doing the bit, here's a clip of Tom Baker saying he wants to lick your butthole or something. <laughs> Curry sauce all over your anus. Delish. <laughs> I so desperately want to know the context and also don't ever want to know the context of that video. Wait, let me, let me look this up again. Uh, Tom Baker butthole. <laughs> And funnily enough, curry sauce all over your anus is the first result. Yum yum yum. Hmm. BBC Tom Baker dot Doctor Who curry sauce all over your anus. Origins. Delicious. What are the origins? Any comments in? Hmm. <laughs> no amount of context can make this normal, says one of the comments. <laughs> I, I can't find the context. I I, I looked I, I I googled spicy curry sauce all over your anus uh, <laughs> uh, context, and all I have is a link to the YouTube video, someone tweeting that they've been looking for that video, and then articles about why eating curry makes you shit yourself. That yeah, I found a lot. I found a lot of curry recipe <laughs> recipes, so I should try it. <laughs> And then get Tom Baker on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a wonderful clip, and you're welcome. If you, if you've listened to the past like five hours of us talking about it, that's your reward. <laughs> that's what you get. Uh, you get gifted with that. Uh, you're welcome. You get gifted with curry sauce all over your anus. Delish. <laughs> <laughs> but shall we jump into the episode then? Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like curry sauce all over my anus. <laughs> Delish. Uh, but we pick up, as always, where the episode left off with Azal being summoned. Uh, amazingly, in this one, they don't spend an awful lot of time recapping the cliffhanger. It picks up pretty much with the master laughing. We see Azal and stuff like that. And then we're straight into the episode. We don't spend like the first minute and a half showing scenes from the previous episode again. It's 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 surprising and refreshing. Oh yeah, somebody walking in on this episode must have been very confused about what the hell was going on. Oh yeah, it, uh, out of context, it makes almost no sense. Uh, but uh, uh, Joe breaks free of the master and she goes to run. She runs into the uh, the loving clutches of um, uh, uh, oh my fucking god! How have I forgotten his name? I've gotten it right so long for so long. I've had his Yates. Yates god damn it! Uh, <laughs> she runs into the loving grasp of Yates as the gargoyle springs to life, and it still looks like utter shit uh, <laughs> as it springs to life. And then Yates uh, unloads a couple rounds into it, which the gargoyle, obviously being made of stone, shrugs off. Uh, it, it this whole Ma made of stone. Very obvious, it's made yeah, of stone. Yeah, it's, it's, isn't it's it? obviously stone that it's made of. Uh, this whole scene very much strikes me as a stage production. Yeah, it doesn't come off as TV or film. It, it's like we're watching theater. Very, very, very theater. Uh, very, very, very poorly done theater at that. Like very cheap. Yeah, it, it looks like somebody's just sitting in the balcony, zoomed in, and it's like, oh yeah, this is. The local production of whatever the fuck this is. Yeah, this is the local production of uh, Hamlet, 
Uh, they <laughs> they really didn't understand the script. <laughs> uh, but uh, the the gargoyle f- zaps above uh, Yates's head and causes them to surrender. And uh, the master says that they're very wise for surrendering, and that they need to put the Joe in a ceremonial tabard. Do we ever find out why they're doing this? Is it to sacrifice to Azal, Joe? I presume. It- I presume so, but I'm not entirely sure. It's, it's really just to put Joe in a different costume, and it's not even like it's a sexually charged costume where they're like taking advantage of Joe and exploiting her for her body. It's like a plain white cloak, and they never really make reference to it again, except when the doctor's like, "Get the fuck out with those clothes!" Uh, like, yeah, it, it it very much reminds me of those old like steampunk kind of like films where uh, the villain ties a girl up to the train tracks dressed in a wedding gown like for no reason really yeah it's it it really unfortunately i think turns joe from as we were saying in the last episode she's kind of breaking the stereotype and going to search and save the doctor because she knows it's what she has to do and here it's literally turning her into a damsel in distress uh and like making her wear the like apparent the appropriate clothing for a damsel in distress and everything and unfortunately, these kind of stereotypes never really go away in classic. Like even during the 80s, John Nathan Turner would just cast people based on like, oh, she's attractive. This is for the dads, and it's kind of a shame. Like 26 seasons of a show is kind of t- not. I would say it's tainted by it, but it's not a great show. It's a great show. It's not great that uh, they would do this. That it, it really dates them badly, and you'd, you'd yeah, not not a great show for like for, uh, representation yeah, of women. Yeah, I would say yeah, yeah. You'd that's something that I think Doctor Who nowadays does probably a lot better uh, with representation. Uh, but even then, I still think that Doctor Who struggled a bit uh, to get proper representation, like. Uh, I mean, you know, Martha shows up in season three, uh, and it's 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 pretty well. But then it's you know, white folks all around the place after that until Yaz. Uh, <laughs> uh, they 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 kind of flip the issues from uh, uh, Bill. Bill. Oh, was Bill. Black as Bill. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they were back to back seasons, weren't they? So it was Bill then Yaz were companions. Uh, yes. It's a you know, I I think representation's a thing that every show struggles with and you know as two white males i really think we should be having the conversation um about representation because i think we're the 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 most versed on it and can provide the most unique insight to (laughs) it uh yeah, I definitely think it's something Doctor Who's gotten better at. The issue that I think that new Doctor Who has isn't representation at all. Uh, when it comes to things like representation and things like that, I think the issue it suffers with is some of the fans are complete scumbag shitheads. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the minute uh, Jodie Whittaker was cast, there was a plague of comments just being like, "Oh, this is Karen Who or Nurse Who," and it's like, yeah, it's pretty disgusting because uh... everyone knows that you know. The nurse who would be Rory because he was the nurse, so fucking yeah. get it right. Uh, but every everyone everyone knows that the quality of Doctor Who is hindered on the gender of the character. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's why for the past, uh, you know, when Classic Who was around, Doctor Who was never cancelled, and it never ran into any troubles because the Doctor was always a guy. 
it's <laughs> Doctor Who's issues have never been gent or, or like the issues with Doctor Who as a TV show have never be like when it's bad have never been that because of someone's gender. It's always writing uh, that Doctor Who has failed with, uh, be it who the Doctor is or the companions. Like New Who, especially with Jodie's season, Jodie's issue isn't that she's a woman; it's that she's written with no personality. Like <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe that's because the showrunner is a 40-year-old, 50-year-old, white, straight guy. Uh, but <laughs> but who knows? But yeah, what an interesting small discussion on uh, <laughs> representation in Doctor Who. Uh, ah, yeah. <laughs> two minutes into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... I, and not to just suddenly end the discussion, I, I think there's still a long road doctor who has to go before before any show has to go and uh you know i think it's easy to be like oh yeah the the people are fucking horrible scumbags who don't like women and stuff i just think i think that's a vocal major a minority uh yeah uh, i was about to say a vocal majority and fucking i hope not i (laughs) (laughs) i reckon it's a, a very small minority of people most of whom are in their late 60s and uh, are old white men who watched Doctor Who when they were kids and actually have never consumed New Who as media. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's very easy on the internet to get trapped in a bubble. So mm-hmm. just, That's correct, yeah. Just fuck it. Good point. Just fuck it. Enjoy the show and try to be nice to everyone. Why is it so hard? God knows. God knows. <laughs> but anyway, on this episode of Let's so- Solve the World, let's continue with the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who. Uh, we, we see the uh, the cult members carry, I guess, a suddenly now unconscious Yates. Uh, yeah. I, I don't remember them knocking wait. him unconscious, but he's now unconscious. Let, let me watch the scene again and see if... Do they knock him? Okay, he's standing there with a gun. The gun gets shot. I mean, he kind of tries to join... He kind of tries to rescue Joel when he gets carried away. And then he's unconscious. You see him. Yeah. Yeah, they just... He's just... He's like, fuck it, I might as well sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much like we only had a few days to shoot this, and they were like, I think we got a shot, but when we went to be editing Bay, and we are like, oh shit, we didn't really get the shot, did we? We, we forgot to shoot this part. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, it's a feeling I've had before. It's pretty fucking annoying. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, with modern day technology, you know, we can correct it pretty easily, be it like cut around it or add in some VO or go back and reshoot because we're not shooting on film. We're shooting digital, so we don't have to worry about how expensive that shit is. Uh, and, and also, again, we said this last week, this is still the age of Doctor Who where... When they're shooting in studios, the lights are all off at 10 p.m. And, like, they probably wanted to shoot this scene and probably couldn't get around it. That's why there's only, like, two camera angles this whole scene. Yeah, and why everything's always done in a wide, uh, besides for yeah. certain times where they quickly zoom in. But, yeah, it's 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 get it done, not make it look nice. Like... <laughs> To be fair to the director, the director has done a really competent job throughout this whole story as 
so far. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 very well put together. Like that's the first time that I've noticed something happen in the script that I'm like, what the fuck did I miss something here? Uh, yeah, Vat and the telephone wires being cut. Yes, it's but like... we solved that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we then cut to the doctor talking with the villagers, saying that uh, Azal, Azal is the uh, greatest danger to ever face this world, and uh, they 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 should all be be fucking brave, essentially. And this is where he comes forward at saying that he's not a magician or a wizard; he has to be honest with the folk here, even though they one hundred percent heard him say that he wasn't a wizard earlier. Yeah. Uh, and this is basically a scene where uh, we get another recap on how the Doctor makes the car move by himself as he explains it to Miss Hawthorne. And we, the villagers we see now are no longer under the control of the Master. They're wanting to listen to the Doctor and they're chastising the barkeep for continuing to interrupt and try and turn them onto the side of the Master. Uh, and, and with a recap of the car being remote controlled, you're definitely reminded of the fact that but that, the first episode was five weeks ago, so there's definitely a lack of remembering for the audience. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can get why they did it. You know, they it it it's it's it wasn't made with the intention of binging back to back. Yeah. And when they were making it, they definitely weren't thinking, hmm, in like 50 years' time in Scotland, two guys are going to make a <laughs> seven-hour-long deep dive podcast into this series of episodes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, alas, here we are. <laughs> but it is inter- very interesting to see how uh, the lack of availability of like, even video recorders meant that the story has to be structured around in a way that constantly reminds the audience of what happened the last few weeks. Yeah, it's... And also, uh, you know, because they start each episode with um, a... uh, where the cliffhanger picked up, but they never do, like, a previously on, uh, which is what TV does nowadays, is if there's some information you need to remember from a few weeks ago, they go, previously on... Doctor Who. Oh, you'll never get the sonic screwdriver, Doctor! And then the Doctor is like, oh, fuck, I'll never get the sonic... And you're like, ah, I remembered that. But here they have to try and, I... and work it into conversations. I do wonder when the previously on segments were introduced. <laughs> Sorry, another detour, but I'm interested. Uh, when was... When did previously on start? Uh, apparently, previously on started on the twenty sixth of February two thousand twenty one, <laughs> and it was an episode of One Division. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, no recap sequence. Here we go. I found a Wikipedia article which mentions Doctor Who. Funnily enough. Yeah, I have a Wikipedia article mentioning a lot of TV shows, but it's not giving me a date on when the first one was. Yeah. Uh, when was the first? Ah, here we go. I've got one. Uh, one of the er- one of the earliest TV shows to have a recap sequence, uh, recapping the events of a TV show, where uh, the TV show called "The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp" uh, mm. uh, from nineteen fifty five to nineteen sixty one. Okay, I presume it's an I, American I, I, I'm show. going to assume it's an American show as well, uh, because they're usually on the forefront of. TV styles. 
It was a Western TV show that ran for six seasons from 55 to 61 uh, and would always do a uh, recap on each episode. It's like the type of TV show that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that they're yeah it's it's like it's like that style and that was one of the first ones don't know when it would have come over to britain that's a very that's that'd be something that would need a like an hour and a half long research to try and find yeah i'm gonna presume it became commonplace like during the 80s and 90s perhaps the, maybe late in. 70s with uh yeah. like soap operas rising in popularity and stuff like that but i don't hmm, like EastEnders and Coronation Street don't really do that, do they? Like with every TV show now, I think they do it if there was like a part two. Yeah, but that's about it, really. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it was the about the late fifties in the United States was the first time they did a previously on, which is really something Doctor Who just couldn't afford to do, even if it was prominent in the UK at this point, which it most certainly wasn't because it doesn't fit the British standard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it would have helped with a lot of, like, pacing issues and dialogue. Because usually for Doctor Who, the first half of the episode is recapping information from last week so we can get on with the plot. Anyway, back to the episode. Yep. (laughs) I like how we start with a cold open conversation and this is the ending with, like, a (laughs) recaps conversation. (laughs) Uh, and this is how the the doctor goes on to explain how the master can summon Azal without using magic and he's like oh it's simple he uses emotions to summon uh, like fear and hatred and greed and that made me go like magic uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> because uh, when all humans are together with all of their emotions that we all feel it creates a charge of psychokinetic energy, and when the doctor said that, I went, "Ah, magic." <laughs> yeah, it, it it doesn't sound scientific at all. Emotions aren't. It's it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the doctor says that the rituals that the master's been doing are important and need to be done because they control the psionic forces, and I was like, hmm. Much as if it was controlling magic. So you're saying it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, um, you know, it's it, uh, it reminds me of Rick and Morty. Uh, the Pocket Universe episode. Where uh, mm. the, he makes a Pocket Universe to, f- to f- uh, Rick makes a Pocket Universe to uh, be the engine of his car the battery of his car okay yes uh, and they go into it and he's like yeah they they use these things and they create science to uh funnel and charge electricity and and morty's like that sounds like slavery with extra steps what the doctor's <laughs> explaining here sounds like magic with extra steps <laughs> yeah but again that's kind of like the problem with aliens and these sci-fi shows where technology comes across as just magic like the sonic screwdriver is essentially magic. Yeah, it does what it needs to do when the script decides it needs to do it. Except wood. It doesn't work on wood, remember? <laughs> ha ha ha. Uh, uh, um, uh, Benton says, uh, well, shouldn't we get a shift on and go and fucking knock a demon a new one then? Uh, and the doctor's like, okay, explain to me how you would do that. Uh, and I, I really like this where Benton's like, well, we'd get the men and uh, 
oh fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then and then the greatest line in this series i think really for this five parters it could be the staple line of dialogue where the doctor says all we can do is wait i feel like that's (laughs) been said in every episode Uh, (laughs) yes it really has been but we've got to stretch this out to a full two hours, as any way we can. Yeah, and we have to stretch out the podcast to a full six hours. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, the doctor explains that they have to wait for the brigadier to show up with the uh, energy device that he's let, that Osgood is making for him, because that will f- somehow make the demon uh, fuck off because of science. Uh, and we then cut to the master talking to Azal. Again, it's like a, 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 an over-the-shoulder shot. It looks decent here. Yeah, and it's essentially a remake of the scene we saw before, except the, the Master's got his cult with him, where the Master's like, you need to give me the power. And Azal's like, why would I give you Why would I give you the power? And it's, it's, it's like, okay, we've, we've seen this scene already, please. Like, Yeah, but again, to a 1971 audience, we've seen the scene, what, a week or two ago? So... Yeah, but fuck them. I'm talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) I think there is a 90-minute condensed version of this episode that's on the Blu-ray, and I wonder how much we've actually cut out. Yeah, I could see you... How long is it in total? 5 times 20? That's like 100 minutes. That would be... That's two hours and two minutes, according to my Blu-ray, when I pressed the play all option. Yeah, so about two... So, yeah, I could easily see them cutting out uh, cutting this half an cutting, hour, cutting yeah. this down to an hour, hour, hour night. It's basically cutting out. You know what they would be? It'd cut out episode two. Most of it, yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, the master brings Joe forward to Azal as a, a ritual sacrifice, and then suddenly, uh, 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 fuck. Uh, Yates. Yates. Yatey Yates. Suddenly Yates is awake again on the hardwood floor and he uh, wriggles his way back up onto his feet and uh, see he sees that Joe's in trouble. Uh, and he, he looks down to where he, she is and he goes, fuck that! And he leaves the church. <laughs> yeah, he basically did what Hawthorne should have done like two episodes ago when she's in the, like the... I don't know what that was, like a coffin kind the, of? The storage container, yeah. Yeah. He goes running out the church and shouts for the doctor, who thankfully is standing in the town square, which is like, I don't know, 200 yards away from the church. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so everybody in the village then goes fucking bombing it up towards the church. Uh, and then we find out that Azal's name uh, inspired the name of Azale, the fallen angel. Uh, are you familiar with this fallen angel, Azale? No, are nope, you? Not at all. I'm sure he's. Pro- I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna guess he's maybe in Supernatural at some point. It seems like a sort of character. Most likely. They put in Supernatural. Uh, Fallen. Azale. Yeah. What's who's Azale? Uh, he's Jewish and Islamic religions. Thought to be the angel of death. Oh. Makes sense for this oh. episode. Azale, the angel of death. Interesting. However, as. I think his real name is Azrael. It has an R in it. He's a I know the name Azrael. This... I think... I think... Maybe it's... I don't know what's going on. Are we the same person? Too many... Too many Z's. 
Uh, yeah, it could be Azrael uh, and not Azale. Show me Azale and not Azrael. Yes, I'm not a fucking robot. <laughs> uh, Fallen Angel, Wikipedia. Yeah, it, it always leads me to uh, Azrael. But uh, Fallen Angel just means he's the embodiment of evil and maybe in rebellion of God. Yeah, he's an angel that's been cast out of heaven. Uh, because they, they would tempt humans to sin, uh, according to that Wikipedia article I just quickly scanned over. Uh, who, wow, so smart of thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> who knows from the looks of it, it doesn't seem like Azale is an actual person. It seems like Az- Azrael. Uh, it, it could have been changed to just avoid complaints perhaps, from like religious yeah, groups to, or whatever. To make it sim- it's like uh, similar but different. Uh, the the doctor asks for his walkie-talkie and he radios in the brigadier and, and he explains that Joe's been captured and they need to get that uh, scientific doohickey through the dome right this fucking second. He's still got the suit. Yeah, they they don't wash faces in unit. Uh, <laughs> but they, they activate the machine and by God... We cut away to the doctor as the tension builds. Did the machine work? Uh, and then we cut to the master who is apologizing to Joe. Uh, surprisingly enough, I, I wouldn't have expected the master to feel uh, regret, remorse in sacrificing someone, especially the doctor's I, I, companion. I do love how he's still got kind of the persona of being like a charming gentleman towards her. Yeah, uh, but. I, you know, I'm sure he's met Joe several times before this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we then cut back to unit, uh, so uh, we we can see if the machine's about to work. They're activating it. Smoke starts pouring out of the sides of it. Osgood's really, really unsure if it's going to work. And then we cut back away again. They're really building up the tension of, is this machine going to work? Uh, you know, obviously we know it is going to work because that's how plot works. But I think they do a pretty <laughs> decent job in like showing, like, oh fuck, oh boy, is are we going to get this thing to run again? Because we've already seen it fail, and now they're slowly building up to it working. Yeah, and the scenes at this point start intercutting a lot more faster, which actually works because it's building tension. Unlike last week, where every scene felt like fifteen seconds. Yeah, well, not last week. Uh, two weeks ago now. <sighs> Yeah. What is time? Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. This is episode 10. <laughs> this is the 10th week we've done this podcast now. Unbelievable. Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, the doctor tells most of the village to fuck off and the uh, actual actors to follow him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, the master's uh, companions tell him to... Uh, that the people are coming and I've just paused it here and it looks like Batman standing behind the master uh, uh, oh yeah <laughs> his, his face is kind of cloaked he's got, he's got like black paint on the first half of his face to cover presumably to make the just, yeah, just more effective probably in the camera but uh yeah just I presume the lighting that place didn't allow for like proper shadows to be cast so yeah it worked a lot better doing this yeah but he's Batman uh, <laughs> in, 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 incredible that they, they, they snuck Batman into this episode 
Uh, we then see the goddamn fucking gargoyle <laughs> hopping a fucking long. It looks so silly still. Oh, It just looks like a puppy at this uh, yeah, point. Yeah, he's just running. He's not even really uh, <laughs> maintaining the guise of being made of stone. He's like, ooh, I've got to fucking go. Uh, like... uh, we then cut to uh, uh, the gargoyle uh, known as Bok uh, outside the church. Uh, and this is where the big fucking fight scene happens in this episode. Uh, a box stands guard outside the main doors of the church and the doctor's like we have to we have to wait for the brigadier to show up uh and there's no way we can help joe if we kill ourselves now joe's just gonna have to to wait more waiting yeah more waiting. great uh the barkeep goes running towards the master like oh master or he has actually shouting magister i think uh as he's like i'm, I'm coming back to you my liege uh but then box like Fuck you, bitch. Zap. Uh, <laughs> and blast him to infinity. And beyond? No, just infinity. Uh, <laughs> uh, he tells the brigadier to hurry up. Uh, and the brigadier's like, oh, we still haven't managed to get through the dome. It's still not working. We're at max power. And the doctor's like, you'll have to use the booster. Which, uh, fucking, why? Why is there a booster? Why not just make it go all the way, use the booster power? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Osgood is hesitant in using the booster, but the brigadier's like, fuck this, and he slams down the booster, which is like a small lever to the left uh, off the machine, uh, and it causes the thing to almost catch fire, and it whirls up in sound, and we're like, oh boy, what's gonna happen? And we cut away again to the master. Uh, we are cutting around quite a, quite a, a quick pace at this point. Osgood is having such a rough day as well. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, he's stressed out his fucking eyes. Like, <laughs> like as we said, shortly after missing like, expanded cannon, he just opens up a tea shop. A nice little tea shop. <laughs> he, he deserves retirement. Uh, we see the master holding the sacrificial dagger above his head, continuing to chant some ritualistic bullshit. Uh, one of his, weirdly, one of his... Um, uh, 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 followers says that the sacrifice isn't right and that the master shouldn't be doing it and he's the one holding on to Joe and he seems quite panicked uh, I presume uh, the hypnotic power might be wearing off for this guy perhaps the psychic power works when it wants to work really yeah uh, but we then we then cut back to uh, the brigadier and Osgood as as oh my goodness the dome's finally opening up in an effect that i think looks fucking incredible still yeah it looks really solid it's it's a really 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 good looking uh effect of this like shimmering light in an archway to create a passageway inside the dome uh and i it, i think it's maybe the best looking almost it would be a digital effect that they would have added on on the lens or perhaps a lens effect with a piece of plastic yeah. in front of the lens to create an archway. That's how I would probably do it. Uh, and it, it, it looks very good. Uh, the Brigadier tests it by uh, sticking his stick in it, and it, it smokes, which is an effect that I still think looks really great. It smokes, but it doesn't catch on fire. So it's super fucking hot. Uh, but he's like, eh, it's, 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 we can pass through it, though. We won't combust. Everyone climbs back into their vehicles, and they drive on through the tunnel. And we cut back to the master telling uh, Joe to lie down on the sacrificing slab, basically. 
uh, and uh, then we see Azal roaring in pain suddenly. He's no longer feeling too groovy about what's going on here. <laughs> presumably, presumably because of uh, Brigadier and all them entering the town or cutting through the dome. Perhaps that could be why. My assumption was because we know that Azal is summoned through the energies of everybody. <laughs> Uh, is that now that one of the master's companions is questioning whether they should be doing this, it's somewhat weakening Azal because he no longer has that support summoning him. That's also a possibility, yeah, but I feel like if that was the case, him having a massive migraine would have been before the dome, like, in the same shot, in the same scene as the guy fighting against the power. Yeah, but, you know, pacing. they got to stretch some of it out. Uh, but we cut to the doctor getting recapped that the brigadiers made his way through the tunnel but they never managed to get the machine through Uh, we then we then see uh, uh, Bok the gargoyle seeming a bit confused and dazed now and (laughs) that that that's because the the energy machine as you said opened up the ripped hole in the dome and is is therefore weakening uh, the the mag the science. Sorry, not magic. Uh, <laughs> and there's also no reason why we didn't get the machine through the hole first. Like, what's the reason why we didn't do that? <laughs> uh, because they're silly billies. Uh, they're they're just they're just very silly, and they didn't think. That's why. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they they eventually drive the car with the machine through the dome, and they they zip zap zip. Uh, they uh, or at least they are intending to zip zap zip all the way over to the doctor. But uh, there's something wrong with the machine. Uh, it's about to fucking go. Uh, Osgood has to get out of the car, or he's about to explode. I honestly, I was expecting Osgood to die here. Yeah, I don't think he has enough time to run away. <laughs> but when, yeah, he's fine. He, he, at least. he is fine. He gets out of the car just in the nick of time. But I was expecting him to die because I was because pr- he you know because he's not really a recurring character. Uh, yeah, uh, and I was like, oh, it's just like a callback that Moffat made to this one rando fucking like essentially red shirt from Star Trek who ends up dying. Mm. Uh, but no, Osgood is safe, and he he goes off and opens his uh, wee coffee and tea shop, as Scott so elegantly put before. <laughs> but we see the machine explode, and I think probably the m- most disappointing explosion in this episode. Yes, yeah, uh, they definitely ran out of the budget to create a fire. <laughs> yeah, there's no fire. It doesn't damage the car at all. It kind of just goes bang uh, and shatters all over the place. Uh, this is the doctor then finds out that the machine's uh, blown up, but the unit are still on their way coming. Uh, and the doctor decides that he's going to go in. Just thinking pacing-wise here, so the doctor went. Uh, so unit were coming into the town, but they couldn't get in because of a dome. So the doctor went with them and helped them build a machine so that they could get into the dome. Then unit used the machine to come into the dome. And then the machine exploded and unit went to the city center. 
uh, that takes about three and a half episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely could have been condensed, but it's classic Doctor Who. It's, <laughs> I think every story in classic Doctor Who is longer than it needs to be. As they said, we need to wait for a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, the doctor says that he needs to go into the church alone and uh, the guy that was upping the prices in the supermarket says you can't go in there It'll be su- you said it would be suicide but he says it in this really whiny voice he's like you can't go in there you said it would be suicide I'm like, yeah <laughs> It's very calm. Yeah. Of, of a, yeah. It's, it's it's not the best line reading, uh, I think, that the actor could have potentially done. But, alas, there it is. The Doctor then just very casually sidesteps the gargoyle as the gargoyle <laughs> shittily is stumbling back and forth. Uh, and then it lazily chases after the Doctor and quickly gives up as the Doctor fucking sprints into the church. Uh, he runs on down into the master's dark and dank dusty dungeon uh, and the master's like ah ha 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 doctor I was expecting you to appear and this is the f- I do like the li- I do like the little moment where uh, he he runs into the room he looks straight ahead I mean there's like a little moment of realization as he starts looking up at Azal yeah it's a, it's a it's a very nice performance from uh, Pertwee as he notices the size of Azal and this is you know, he's spoken about the daemons, that he knows what the daemons are and stuff like that, but this is the first time going face-to-face with one of the daemons, and you can see he it's its way larger than he was expecting it to be. Also, this is the first time the Master and the Doctor have met in this story. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like, like almost uh, near the end, 13 minutes to the end. That's insane. Uh, the Doctor says that he's happy to see Joe, and we cut away to a car driving down the street who's inside the car well it would only be unit and then the brigadier is like what are we waiting for uh, well we're the the entrance is blocked yates says by this shit man in a halloween costume <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's constipated <laughs> yeah he he drank way too much and he's about to shit himself we can't get past him <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Brigadier's response is, what in the place is his fun? <laughs> Some kind of ornament. <laughs> uh, but Yates demonstrates that they can't quite get past it by throwing a stone towards uh, Bok, who zaps it out of the sky in a pretty decent-looking smoke bomb effect that they uh, threw up. And I do love the Brigadier's nonchalant reaction to it. He's like, oh, this is what we're dealing with today. Like, cool. Well, I know what we're going to be shooting bullets at. Uh... <laughs> uh, chap with the wings, five rounds open fire is like the most iconic Brigadier line. <laughs> Has he said it more than once? No, it's just iconic from this no, episode. It's just... like the most quoted line. Chap with the wings. Hmm. Interesting. I wouldn't have said it was his most iconic. I don't know what his most iconic would be. But that line didn't personally stand out to me. Like, it's a line that always gets uh, quoted out at conventions and shit. It's great. (laughs) Interesting. What a bunch of nerds. Uh, (laughs) But as as we already know, bullets don't affect Bok. They simply bounce off him. 
uh, and which is demonstrated pretty nicely with audio. It's it's a hundred percent like audio ripped from Western movies. Uh, yeah. Like, pew, pew, wow. Uh, <laughs> and there's no visual representation of bullets being fired at all anywhere near Bok, but you know budget and time restraints and whatnot. But and then Yates turns around and he raises his eyebrow. He's like, "None of this is gonna help, my dude." <laughs> Uh, and we then cut to the master and the doctor chatting. Uh, and the, the doctor's like, oh, I know I'm dead. You know, I, I, I knew I was dead the second I walked through these doors. I'm ready to die to save the world, essentially. Which is just a lovely little, like, very brief monologue from Pertwee that I very much enjoyed. And I love how he ha- has, like, no hint of, like, fear or reservations about what he's doing. He's, like, he's committed to dying if he has to do it. Uh, the master tries to convince Azal to kill the ma- kill the doctor straight away, but there's no pulling one over Azal. He knows that this is the doctor, uh, and this is the person that he was considering also giving his power to besides the master. Again, Azal speaks way too slowly yeah, it, for a scene which should be really fast paced. Yeah, it it. I think it takes a lot of the tension out of the scene. Uh, Definitely. One, it takes Azal ages to say his lines, which means you're looking at Azal for ages and you really start to notice the flaws and the weirdness of his costume. And you're like, oh, he's just a silly, 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 silly costume. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then you lose all believability that he's in any sense of danger at all. Uh, But the doctor says that he, he came to talk to Azal. And as I was like, fucking yeah, let's 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 have a chat. I'll get some tea. Do you want milk or lemon? Uh, <laughs> uh, and the doctor's like, I'll only talk if you let go, if you let Joe be free, uh, which the master objects to. But Azal's not having any of it. He's like, fuck you, master, and he lets uh, Joe be free. So really, her being captured did very little other than to encourage the doctor to go into the church, which was something he was going to do anyway. But <laughs> yeah. The Doctor's chat with Azal here, I really, really enjoyed. It, uh, yeah. it gave me, like, feelings of New Who, where you're just listening to the Doctor talking to a monster. And he's kind of bluffing, where he's, like, uh, he's trying to be civil. He's giving the monster a chance to, like, you need to leave. You need to stop what you're doing. I'm giving you a chance. Just walk away now. If you don't, I have a machine outside that'll kill you. Even though we know the Doctor doesn't actually have that machine anymore, he's still trying to bluff his way out of this situation yeah and uh, Zul calls him out on the lie he's like you've only had one it's been destroyed and he's like why did you lie to me and the doctor's like to try and make you listen to me yeah which says a lot about his character uh, the master begs Azal to kill the doctor and uh, the Azal's like yeah fuck it why not uh, uh, <laughs> in which the the doctor says uh to quote, if you kill me now, you will wonder throughout eternity whether you should have listened to my words. And that's a sentence that I fucking loved. I thought that was so good. Yes, and I love how it can re- be applied to like the real world, to like any war. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really good quote. Yeah. Just one of the many great Pertwee quotes, I would say. Yeah, it's you know you you can act now and do what you were going to do, but you'll never know if you should have listened to what I was telling you. It's 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 a very 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 good very deep almost uh, line of dialogue from Pertwee. It's, 
it's very deep and very understated at the same time. You don't need like a ten minute lecture at the end yeah. where the doctor stands in his TARDIS being like, This is what we learned today, folks. Uh, but speaking of deep and intellectual, uh units start unloading all their guns at the man in a Halloween <laughs> costume in the worst action sequence I've seen for quite some time. Also, judging by the smoke, they seem to keep on missing with every single every shot. Every shot, they, they're, shoot, they're making a perfect uh, outline of the gargoyle <laughs> as they shoot around him. Uh, they're, they're all terrible aims at unit. And how many men? There's like 15 there are men There's so many least. of them, yeah. Might as well use a pea shooter on four-inch armor. That was a line no, I liked. Your problem is I, I... you keep missing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your problem is that you fucking you can't aim, you can't shoot straight. But <laughs> I did enjoy the line. It really, it was a good way of demonstrating how useless their guns were, even though we've already seen how useless their guns are. But and then I, I also enjoyed the line, "Get the bazooka." Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we then cut back to the doctor and Azal and the master and. We see that Azal's hesitating to kill the Doctor, and uh, the Master almost oversteps his bounds when he's when he says, "I I command you to kill the Doctor, uh, Azal." And Azal's like, "Fuck you! I don't follow orders. I give orders, bitch." <laughs> uh, and this is where we find out that Azal only showed up when the Master summoned him because the Master conveniently timed his ritual to summon Azal at the same time as uh, Azal decided it was his time to judge humanity uh, on whether or not they yeah. should be killed. It's it's a remarkable strike of a coincidence. But there is a great bit coming up where the master basically begs Azal to give him all his power because there's nobody else strong enough to lead, lead the humans. And the doctor compares to him to Hitler and Gagnus Khan. Yeah, it was great. I very much enjoyed that line where he was like, you sound very similar to someone. Who was his name? Hitler. Ah, yes. Adolf Hitler. Oh, wait. Was it Genghis Khan? Uh, his, his his delivery of it was uh, fantastic. Uh, and I was also relatively surprised at the mentioning of uh, Hitler. Uh, yeah. It's only been, what, 25 years since World War Two at this yeah. point? It's still pretty fresh. Yeah. Although I feel like maybe back then they would have mentioned it a bit more because he was such an obvious bad guy and it was such in the public conscious that you could be like, yeah, Hitler, you know, that's how bad you are. You're like Hitler, the bad guy of the nation, of the world, you know, history's bad guy. That's it. It's an, and whereas now, if you compare someone to Hitler, people immediately dism dis dismiss your argument because it's so overdone and so overused. Where you're like, yeah, it's such an easy mm -hmm. way, to, easy comparison to make. So, you know, per perhaps it was uh, slightly less uh, uncommon than we suspect. Uh, Azal says that he's still not convinced to give the power to the Master. Uh, which, you know, isn't surprising considering his interactions with the Master have been the Master cowering in a corner and then the Master trying to command Azal. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the Doctor says that he's, he's very happy that... Uh, the the Azal doesn't want to give him the power and the doctor and Azal's like oh so you want you want the earth to be destroyed as well doctor uh, <laughs> and the doctor's like uh, no not not quite <laughs> and I really really loved this monologue from Pertwee I think it 
it it made watching some of the silly bits in these past three episodes or so or five episodes or so really worth it uh where he's saying that uh yeah azal gave knowledge and the daemons give knowledge to mankind enough knowledge that they can now kill themselves that they can destroy the world and ruin the environment and all this bad shit can happen because of you etc etc and it's just very passionately and well delivered by pertwee it very much reminds me of uh the good place where the end of the series was like humans are capable of doing like the worst shit ever but at the same time, they're capable of doing like the best shit ever, and they deserve a chance to grow and improve as a society and all that. Yeah. Uh, and Azal says that he's finally decided who he's going to pass on his. Pa- he's going to pass his power onto someone. He's not going to destroy the earth. And the master's like, "Hell yeah, I fucking won. Let's go, boys." Uh, and Azal's like, "No, fool. I'm going to give it to the doctor." Uh, which obviously uh, the doctor's like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know how Marvel comics do the what if storylines? Yeah, I can't wait for that TV show to come out. I I would be absolutely fascinated to like hear a big finish audio drama that explores what if the doctor gets this power. Like I'd be fascinated. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be like, um, uh, what if Gandalf took the One Ring from Frodo when he was offered it? You know. What yeah. if what if he became this all powerful being who, because you'd have to assume much like Gandalf taking the ring, eventually they would become corrupt, uh, because mm-hmm. you know absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, <laughs> and like we get a nice little story where the master is trying to stop mm, the doctor. Yeah, from evil. yeah, the, 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 the master. Yeah, the master turns good, uh, and perhaps he teams up with some of the companions to. To, to try and stop the the doctor yeah that would be a very fun like, fun spin-off story yeah something that would never work in the show itself but would work in like expanded media mm-hmm. yeah uh, uh, big finish we uh, we need your phone number <laughs> we've got so many show ideas <laughs> starting with the the dog in the first yeah, episode yeah starting with the what dog ha- yeah. not to forget not to forget from the 11th hour uh uh what's his name loves with porn Oh yeah, Jeff. Yeah, the TV show, the 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 big finished audio drama, Jeff. That was one we came up with. We've got the dog. <laughs> We've got the what if the doctor takes the power of Azal? Uh, <laughs> really, you need yeah. Give, give us, us a, a ring, ring. Nicholas Briggs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we see the unit soldiers unloading their guns at uh, a box still, fruitlessly because none of them can aim and none of them do damage to Bok. Uh, he zaps some of the soldiers away. Uh, and then we see uh, Benson with the bazooka. He fires the bazooka, uh, blowing up Bok in a pretty decent-looking explosion, uh, followed by a very simple but always effective effect uh, of reversing the footage as Bok reforms himself. Oh, yeah, it's like watching a magic trick happen. You know the trick, and you're like, yeah, it's a simple trick. But it's 1971, and it's like the best effect we could use. <laughs> it's effective. It communicates clearly what's happening, and they even add a fun little sound effect of woo uh, <laughs> as it happens. There is a lot of sound effects like that throughout this entire story. Yeah. But we then cut back to Azal, who's pretty fucking surprised and probably pretty pissed that the Doctor would dare refuse the power of uh, a daemon. 
Or a demon, as he would say. But they're from the planet Deimos. And they're... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the Doctor's like, of course I would refuse this power because you've not been listening to me. I want you to fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But since the Doctor's refusing the power, Azal's like, well, my back's against the wall. I can either give away my power or I can kill everybody. Uh, So I guess I'm going to have to give my power to the Master. Uh, Azal then... Uh, says that uh, the doctor must die because you know he doesn't think rationally. He doesn't. Uh, he should have taken the power. He's going to disrupt so much shit. So uh, he then starts to electrocute the doctor. Uh, uh, and uh, this is where Joe steps forward in a moment I really liked for her character. You know, we were discussing her being thrown mm-hmm. into a damsel in distress for most of this episode and not having to do much but this is what i liked when she stepped forward she was like no fuck don't kill the doctor kill me she she threw herself onto the sacrificial pyre uh to save the doctor yeah she's absolutely ready to sacrifice herself for the greater good the greater good as hot fuzz would say (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah it's a nice little moment yeah and and that moment of selflessness selflessness uh breaks azal's brain uh uh, and and basically causes him to die, which I just didn't understand and thought it was a complete get-out-of-jail-free card. But also, like, I, yeah. I do kind of like that it's the companion that defeats the alien and not doc- the Doctor. Uh, Terence Dix, who was, like, the uh, script editor at the time, had a very similar problem with the ending. It doesn't make sense for the demon to be destructed by an act of self... Uh, being an act of self... Blah, 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 Selflessness. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's late. Yeah, it's it, um, it's it's very strange for Azal to be like, I'm indestructible. I'm all powerful. I can do one of two things, and then someone's like, "Don't kill that guy," and he's like, "Fuck, fuck, you figured me out. Holy fuck! Oh my god, I'm gonna die." Uh, it's very strange. But yeah, <laughs> his mindset is that humans are just shit, and we're all gonna destroy each other. Um, so he, his his process of believing self-sacrifice is like, this does not compute. How how are we doing this? It doesn't make sense. But he would, as like an, a god, essentially, he would have seen countless examples of people self-sacrificing themse- themselves. You know what I, I mean? I mean, he just watched the doctor run into certain hell to save Joe. He just wa- He yeah. just watched the doctor run into a room and say, I know I'm dead coming in here but I came in here anyway because I had to save Joe. So that's already an act of selflessness that he's witnessed. Yeah. My only way I could potentially see about getting... I'm script doctoring a 50-year-old episode of Doctor Who at this point. (laughs) But, like, writing somehow, he hasn't been able to see what events have been happening on Earth since, like, World War II, which is, like, the most heinous time of, like, societies destroying each other. And that's the last thing he sees. And now he sees, like, humans are starting to get to the point of self-sacrifice and all that. It would have been a little bit more better. Yeah, yeah, I could understand that. Maybe uh, to make it make a little bit more sense, what I would do there is I would then cast the town to be in either Germany or Poland. Uh, Mm. So, one, the name Devil's End would make slightly more sense because it wouldn't be in Christian Britain. It would be in, uh, like, a, a rough translation from a Germanic or a Polish name. Uh, and and then you know because he would have been near like say concentration camps and in the in the the heat of battle and stuff, 
and this is where this church is and underground in this church just so happens that he witnessed all this and it's completely changed his worldview that uh, yeah I, I much prefer that if only we could travel back 50 years we in time to script so much Doctor money of Doctor Who man we <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we we then cut back to the unit soldiers firing at Bok, and uh, we th- it's all still ineffective. But then we see Bok slowly just take a seat in the in the graveyard uh, as he turns back into stone, uh, and everybody evacuates the church as uh, they come up and they they uh, we cut to unit checking that yep he's definitely made of stone. Uh, and uh, the doctor tells everybody, the, uh, the brigadier and all the unit soldiers, to fucking get going. Run for it, he says. Uh, as they run, uh, we see the master running in all as there's a massive earthquake on the way again. He does a weird little jump. He does a wee skip, yeah. Over the two uh, steps. And then what I really liked, as everyone's running down the steps, the last two completely fall over each other. Uh, <laughs> in what I assume must be an unscripted moment because it really looks like they lose their footing <laughs> as they fall over. <laughs> but this shot of uh, the church exploding is great. It's a pretty, de- it's a really decent looking explosion. Yeah, it's, it's like at the time, at the time viewers thought it was so realistic, but they phoned the BBC. They're like, "You blew up a church? What the fuck?" Yeah, I, I mean nowadays it's very clearly like a miniature work. Uh, yes, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a very a very good looking explosion. Uh, one of the biggest explosions I've seen in Classic Who as well. It's it fills the frame. It's humongous. Yeah, it looks really solid. But I do love just the idea of hundreds of people being convinced that they blew up a church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I people's concept of you know because the issue with television still even to this day is unless you're in the industry or, you know, like us and either trying to get in the industry or making your own stuff, everything's so secretive, you know? Everything's done. It's mm-hmm. like the magician's code. You don't tell how the secrets are done uh, unless you're also a magician. Like, but I, st- I still see people get fooled by simple tricks. Like, there's a video on Facebook that circulates every so often of a dog being attached to balloons. There's a guy standing behind a door lifting up the dog so it looks like he's... The dog is actually being lifted by balloons. And people are like, what's animal abuse? L- lifting your dog is animal abuse? People, they don't see the yeah, person. People, uh, if you're not in editing and in film, you don't notice edits in film. Like, there's, there's yeah. uh, I think that's absolutely ruined my brain and ruined watching films and TV shows sometimes for me, is I will notice hidden cuts and cuts where dialogue doesn't sync with the mouth properly, but they've hidden it mm-hmm. by not showing that person's mouth. Yeah, because like that's where my brain's hardwired to look for from editing footage and being in the editing room all the time to try and work around these problems. Yeah. But if you're the casual audience, one, you don't give a fucking shit. Uh, and two, you don't know what to look out for because you're not making it. So it's it's very easy to be fooled by simple tricks like that if you don't know what it to reminds- look for. It reminds me of watching Doctor Who as a kid, just uh, like watching the uh, CGI creatures just roam around on screen. I'm like, yeah, that creature is real. Yeah, yeah I, I remember being uh, like uh, like seven or eight years old, uh, reading Star, um, Star Wars uh, Annual about the making of Episode 3 of Revenge of the Sith. And they were talking about General Grievous and how they made General Grievous. And what they're talking about is the miniature and the CG model that they used to make General Grievous. 
but in it they just worded it as oh we made general grievous and i was reading that like what the fuck they made general <laughs> grievous <laughs> like yeah Doctor Who is literally my first exposure to how things behind the scenes work. Like, remember Doctor Who Confidential? That shit was mind blowing as a kid. I don't think I've just seen how absolute. I've never heard of that in my life. What? (laughs) You really haven't? Not off the top of my head. Like after every episode of Doctor Who on BBC Three, you got to watch the behind the scenes making of each episode. Oh wow. I see. I I've never actively ever looked at BBC Three's programming, even when it was a terrestrial God TV damn. show. So, now nah, I missed out. But yeah, I missed out on something cool. But that shit literally changed my life. It's why we're doing this podcast right now because it convinced me I wanted to do wanted to do film. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, it, 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 for me, it was all the films and TV shows I've watched all the time. Uh, being me go like oh I want to do that I want to make that please uh, and then I make films all the time now and it's exhausting but I do enjoy it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, we see the master now getting taken prisoner by uh, 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 Benson he's, he's, he's throwing the gun at him not throwing the gun he's aiming the gun at him so this is the first time the master actually got caught at the end of the episode uh, this is because uh, the script editor Barry Letts and John Pertwee felt like the master was overshadowing the Doctor because he appeared in every single episode. So he, the master would appear less frequently after this. He only appeared in two stories in season nine and one in season ten. I mean, unfortunately, uh, Roger Delgado passed away. I but, I, yeah. I can understand that because uh, you know I was pretty surprised when you said the master was in every episode. Uh, one, yeah, definitely would make him overshadow the Doctor because you're like, ooh, when's the Master going to show up? When are we going to see the villain? And two, I think it makes him less scary as a villain. Uh, yeah, it's like when the Daleks get overused now, it, they're less scary because they get used every single year. Yeah. Uh, but we hear uh, the Doctor's explaining everything to Joe and the Brigadier about how Joe's self-sacrifice broke Azal's brain. Uh, as we were saying, but then we hear an explosion in the distance, and we find out that that explosion was from the archaeological dig. They blew up the UFO, so don't worry about it. We did that off-screen. Uh... <laughs> Saves them a few hundred quid. Yeah. Uh, the, they're getting ready to up and leave with the Master, and then the Master throws his cloak very lightly on top of Benson, and it knocks him to the ground. Is his cloak super heavy? <laughs> it, uh, is, is it know. like um, uh, Doctor Strange's magic cloak? Has it got a mind of its own? Or <laughs> maybe it was like a bird-like logic. Maybe <laughs> yeah. if I put ben, ben, it over ben, his ben head. Yeah, he fell asleep immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the master goes running into uh, uh, Bessie into the car as which is. Which is a great scene because you know exactly what's yeah, going to happen. You, you already know what's going to happen. Also, Benson starts firing at him and he hits nothing. He doesn't even hit the car. He's <laughs> the worst fucking aim in unit, which is an army full of people who can't aim. Uh, even though we just saw him accurately shoot a fucking cockerel on a church rooftop like 200 <laughs> fucking yards away from him upwards. Uh, he now can't shoot the master in front of him. It's very much like the stormtroopers from Star Wars. They aim, they aim correctly only when they need to. Yep. But the master tries to drive off with Bessie, and uh, yeah, ha ha ha! Guess what happened next? 
Bessie brings the master back to him uh, with the remote control. Uh, did they ever use the remote control again, or is it just for this story? I cannot quite recall. It would be it, it would be great <laughs> if they used the remote control again. I would it would be such a what? lovely callback. Who remote? You're gonna get control. you're gonna get a bunch of uh, yes adverts <laughs> to buy. Oh, he uses this again in the Time Monster, but I think that's about it. Ah, well, at least he used it again once. That's a fun callback. Uh, as Bessie pulls back over with the Master, we see the Master raise his hands and surrender. They, they, they take the Master away after the Doctor says he wants to deal with the Master later on. Uh, and the Master's like, ah, oh, you always were an optimist. And the Doctor's like, ah, thank you for the compliment. And I thought, that's not the comeback you think it is, Doctor. That's uh, <laughs> uh, but they 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 take the master away as prisoner, uh, and you know you were saying that they said that they did this because the master was in every episode he was overshadowing the doctor and stuff like that. I uh, agree with that completely, but I also thought it was a very nice way to end the season. You know, because this yeah, is just this as... is the season finale for season eight, and having the master who's been in every episode get arrested finally he's caught is a great way to end it. Yeah, it's a very victorious note. Mm -hmm. very also, as the master drives by, the villagers start to heckle him. Mm -hmm. um, originally, the villagers... These are extras, by the way. They started cheering at him. I mean, the director was like, boo him instead. <laughs> it's weird that they would cheer him. Did they not realize who he was? Or I guess they it's were probably cheering, cheering him he was arrested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I guess, yeah, I think booing works yeah, better. Yeah, booing does work better. Uh, and then uh, 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 Hawthorne realizes that the birds are chirping again. Uh, they've, they've, they've come back. Uh, so my question is to you, how many birds died because we flew <laughs> right into the dome? <laughs> yeah, so many of them must have just exploded. Like there's just flied chicken lying around everywhere. Yeah, there's probably so much fucking uh, cooked poultry. Uh, I'm, I'm sure yeah. the foxes are loving it. <laughs> uh, uh, very interestingly, I thought Hawthorne says to Benson that they need to do the fertility dance uh, to celebrate the victory. <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you get if you get the fertility dance, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Yates offers. The Brigadier for a dance. A fertility dance, eh? Right? Hey, Brigadier? You fancy a fancy a I'm in the Brigadier. I'm in the Brigadier replies with, I'd rather have a pint. <laughs> and uh, this line was actually improvised by both actors. Oh, that's great. And um, when Nick got the line reading, because it, uh, it was Yates who suggested the line, the actor who plays Yates, not the character. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, when Nick got the lines, he said, well, I think that just says it all. Brig is an alcoholic, and Mike is gay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's 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 so good. <laughs> but uh, on that note, we then pan out of the village in a very lovely wide of the entire town square, as everyone celebrates and they dance around doing their mayday dances. Uh, and the theme song kicks in. And that's the end of season eight and the end of this incredibly long two-parter <laughs> uh, deep dive into the Damon story. Remember when we were going to do this in one episode? 
Oh yeah, so that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what are your your overall thoughts on all five of these episodes? Uh, this uh, this story is considered to be one of the greatest Doctor Who episodes ever, and I can understand why people have that viewpoint. It's pretty damn good. I would say it's one of the best directed and has one of the best examples of all the actors mostly being very good. Um, however, it just does not age that well. But, you know, episodes 1 and 3, I would say, is very close to being perfect Doctor Who, in my opinion. So yeah, overall, it's pretty damn good. What do you think? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I was very surprised to hear you say that it's regarded so highly. Uh, to me, uh, I'm sure at the time it was probably fucking breathtaking. Uh, I definitely think episodes 1 and 3 were the strongest. I think this episode's pretty all over the place and kind of weak but really shines with Pertree's performance when he's talking to uh the demon i just wish that they maybe gave him a little bit more to say i feel like he didn't get to show off as much i think you know if it was new who watching it through a new who lens it would have been a very long monologue about the good of humanity and how they can overcome and how they're proven time and time again that they're better and i think Pertwee could pull off a monologue like that really well uh, I definitely see its influences on other stuff, you know, with the Doctor's morals, with him being kind of jokey and stuff like that. And yeah, I, de I think it's aged. I think that's time uh, is, like all things, will destroy everything. Uh, and it, 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 it hurts this episode the most because we've seen themes like this done better now uh, and shot better now and things like that. But I'm, at the time, it was probably pretty... Uh, new and surprising and refreshing and yeah as you said it's super well put together and directed even as we were going through it we're like ooh, that's a nice bit of cut that's a nice cut there that's a good time to cut there that's a nice shot there uh and as my first pertwee experience uh i very much enjoyed him as the doctor uh obviously i i would need to see more of him before i'm like oh he's my favorite i still you know capaldi and smith and that they're still firmly my favorites but I, I very much had a good time with these five episodes, even though some of the moments in them are ridiculously, unfathomably <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that brings us to the end of the episode, unless you have anything else to say. Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm very tired at this we point. <laughs> We've been recording for a long a time. A whole weekend spent doing this two-parter. <laughs> uh, but thank you for listening to who watches who if you made it through this two-parter fucking congratulations to you uh you can find us on twitter at watches doctor on facebook at facebook.com slash watches who uh, on youtube at who watches who all the social media links are in the description all of the art you can find this podcast in audio form anywhere you get podcasts all the links are in the descriptions you can follow me on twitter at cloth223 on youtube at mess at youtube.com slash mess youtube uh, and scott and this is the perfect time to explain what we're doing next week but next week is our of course end of month news show and we should have something massive to talk about because this upcoming weekend 
not this upcoming weekend for us, <laughs> but you know, no, weekend, <laughs> this upcoming weekend for you. Uh, this is all weekend. Timey weekend of the twenty fourth. Yeah, there's a New York, no, Los Angeles Comic Con where we should hopefully get a trailer and get a lot of information about the news. I, the new I season so coming up. My fingers are crossed. I so fucking hope. I so yes. Hope. <laughs> So join us next Friday where we will cover everything that has happened over this weekend. Hopefully something good. And the Friday after that, we are covering the TV movie. How long will that take us to cover? Uh, boy, it's going to be a long one. It's We're, we're covering <laughs> the TV movie from the 90s. The only, uh, you know, besides the small spin-offs and the audiobooks and stuff, the only chance we have to spend time with the 8th Doctor fully uh it's going to be a fucking ride and i'm expecting that podcast to be like four and a half hours long uh it's a crying it's a crying shame but it's his only episode really because he's probably the best part of that whole thing and and you can tell uh, he's very passionate about doctor who and being the doctor but uh, we, but yeah, that's something to look yeah, forward to. Yeah, look forward to that. Uh, be sure to email us at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com. Literally anything. Questions, queries, your favourite Doctor Who moment. Whatever the fuck you want. I will probably read it out on the news, unless it's bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, but other than that, thank you for watching. Congratulations for making it this far. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.